Tune in to the Neil Prenderville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. And coming up on nine minutes past nine, a look at the morning papers. Uh, Simon Coveney yesterday apologised for his, quote, sloppiness, unquote, in addressing the controversy surrounding Catherine Zappone's appointment, admitting that it had caused uh, political embarrassment for government. His apology features in the Echo and most uh, most of the morning papers. The Foreign Affairs Minister insisted he never offered Miss Zappone the role of a special envoy in early March, despite the former government minister thanking him for the opportunity. Mr Coveney was questioned by the Oireachtas Committee on Foreign Affairs for the second time over the appointment of Miss Zappone in July and apologised to the committee for creating the circumstances that led to a second hearing in a week. Huge jump in CAO points. Many people uh, want the Zappone story to go away and concentrate on uh, getting their children into uh, third level education but the extra 100 points required for some courses is going to make it difficult with 20 passing the 600 mark. A huge jump says the echo in the points required for a number of courses in Cork this year. Some students requiring up to 100 additional points for their choices on CAO offer day. This year more than 20 third level courses nationally have surpassed the 600 point mark compared with seven last year and just one in 2019 and that's all very well to an extent. What about the youngsters going into sixth uh, year this year? What can they expect and how high has the bar been set for them to get what they want in third level education? But dozens of students who received the required number of points were not offered places with the allocation being made by random selection. Plans to relax the COVID rules for children returning to school are detailed in the Irish Times front page. School children close contacts uh, of COVID-19 cases would no longer have to self-isolate if they showed no symptoms under changes being considered by health officials. With the testing system coming under extreme pressure, as now 14,000 children have been deemed close contacts of cases, public health specialists are pressing for a relaxation of rules that require them to stay home for at least 10 days. That's the Irish Times front page. Back to the Echo and a Cork singer. PUP cuts are another blow. Caroline Bailey with her sparkle bandmate Jan Bowler who says that the cuts to the PUP are set to hit the musicians hard. There was always going to be an overlap here. There was always going to be a need for the PUP to go on the sliding scale and eventually of course be eliminated when everyone has been offered their employment back and can safely go back. But a well-known Cork singer has expressed concern about cuts to the pandemic unemployment payment. The PUP describing it as yet another blow for the local music industry. Jen Bowler plays with the band Sparkle and was speaking out against reductions to the PUP, which will see payments of €350 per week reduced to 300 a week from next week. Those already in receipt of 300 a week will be dropped to 250 a week. And I hope to speak uh, to... Uh, Jen and Sparkle later on in the programme. Uh, a man, 28, is jailed for the outrageous theft of a dog. We'll cover this later on as well. A clear man who swung a lump hammer in the direction of a man's head before grabbing his French bulldog and bundling the dog into the back of his van was jailed for two years. Judge Sean Agonavon said, It's a difficult one to understand. A man is out walking his dog, and on this occasion he was met with considerable violence when the accused came at him with a lump hammer. He did not just use it to scare him, he swung it a considerable number of times to get the dog. It was quite an outrageous attack on this poor man. Michael Malloy was also given a two-year driving disqualification for using his vehicle in the commission of a crime. 
and apparently it was his own CTV, uh, CCTV that caught him. And through CCTV, the accused van was identified and when contacted by Gardaí, he arranged for the handing back of the dog named Rocco. The sentencing in the Joshua Allen uh, drugs case is adjourned until after separate appeal. So says the examiner Liam Halen reporting that the prosecution has re-entered the sentencing of Joshua Allen in a drugs case where 15 months of the term was suspended in March last year. He was sentenced to 30 months, half of it suspended, for arranging postage of €22,000 worth of cannabis to himself. And half of that sentence was suspended on condition that he would be of good behaviour. The re-entry of the sentence in respect of the suspended portion of the sentence was triggered by a new sentence of two months imposed on him for having a small quantity of cocaine since his release from jail. Keen Wallopy is the main headline uh, in The Sun on the front page. 300 cops and the army have launched a huge raids on crime mob and seized cash, bling, horses, luxury cars and drugs. 19 people arrested and over 140,000 in cash seized after the defence forces and hundreds of cops targeted the Keen Colopy gang in Limerick yesterday. Drugs, cash, horses, cars and jewellery were grabbed when over 300 officers raided 65 premises. Families double murder suicide making some of the morning papers today. The body of a woman and her son found in their house. Body of her husband in a nearby field. And the Irish Times front page, Barry Roach reporting there. I won't dwell on this too much in the paper review because we'll be speaking to Barry at a moment's time. But Barry says that Gardaí have begun an investigation into what they believe is a double homicide and suicide shooting following the discovery of the bodies of three members of one family in a house and field in North Kerry last night. More on that uh, in a moment. Committee wants to question Zappone, says the Irish Times front page. Also, Harry McGee and Pat Leahy say that Coveney could face a no-confidence motion from Sinn Féin when the Doyle resumes this week. The Oireachtas Committee on Foreign Affairs is expected to invite Catherine Zappone to answer questions about her abandoned appointment as a UN Special Envoy after Minister for Foreign Affairs Simon Coveney told the committee she was mistaken in her belief that she'd been offered the job last March. Mr Coveney could also face a motion of no confidence when the Doyle resumes next week after opposition TDs questioned his account of the affair at yesterday's meeting. Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou MacDonald accused Mr Coveney of concocting an elaborate cock and bull story, which nobody believes. Taoiseach Micheál Martin said lessons needed to be learned by the government while also seeking to draw a line under the controversy last night. He said the approach and process surrounding the selection of Ms. Sapone for the job was wrong and this should not have happened in the way it did. The Taoiseach said Mr. Coveney has now given his account to the committee. That said, lessons need to be learned by government on the handling of this issue. Uh, come rain or shine, stormy showers are on the way, says the star today. The glorious sun will come to an end today with downpours and stormy skies expected. It's expected to stay muggy and humid until the weekend with heavy and thundery showers forecast today and tomorrow. And on the weather, temperatures have topped 28 degrees in Kerry. Owen English reporting after one of the hottest autumn days in Ireland in over a century. Europe has just had one of its warmest summers in 30 years. New figures show. Temperatures soared into the high 20s yesterday as a warm air mass originating in North Africa moved up across the country. Carlo weather reported a high of 28.6 degrees Celsius at Duke's Golf Club in Glenbay in County Kerry. But official figures from Medairn show the temperature topped 28 degrees at its Valencia weather station between 2 and 4 p.m. The heat blast comes as figures from the EU-funded Copernicus Climate Change Service shows that globally August 2021 was joint third warmest on record since 1950, alongside August 2017. Three dead and murder-suicide horror, says the Mirror's front page. And uh, finally, vegans' versions 
of fast food favourites have been launched. Costa Coffee is rolling out fake bacon butties and McDonald's is trialling a Mac plant burger as demand for vegetarian food grows. High Street chain Costa's uh, bacon breakfast baps, which come out this week, contain wheat and pea-based fake meat naked bacon. Without the oink, I suppose, from Irish company Finnebrogue. The rashers, and that's an in inverted commas, come in a white bap with a vegan spread and Heinz ketchup or HP, HP brown sauce. The butty, that's a real English term, isn't it? The butty, uh, was unveiled by a lookalike of celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay, who once slated Costa's real bacon bap in a social media rant. His doppelganger, Martin Jordan, very clever marketing, said the uh, meat-free uh, version tasted... <clears throat> Well, he used some language. Very good, anyway. Uh, a spokesman added, this breakfast alternative is uh, very proud to be fake. McDonald's also jumping on the bandwagon, launching its McPlant burger in Austria. The plant-based patty has been uh, made in partnership with a U.S. meat firm Beyond Meat. Its spokesman said it delivered our iconic taste in a sink-your-teeth-in kind of sandwich. And those are the morning papers. The Neil Prenderville Show. Morning, Barry Road, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times. Uh, we touched on your story on the front page of the Irish Times, but Gardaí begun an investigation into what they believe is a double homicide and suicide following the discovery of the bodies of three members of one family in North Kerry on Tuesday night. One of two harrowing stories in today's uh, news. Can you tell us more about it, Barry? Sure, Mick, yes. A very sad story here from North Kerry, which I think will probably have a lot of echoes for people in Cantork and Mitchellstone um, earlier this year and last year in County Cork, obviously. Uh, Gardaí were alerted sometime after 9pm last night. Uh, a person rang them, say, they called to a neighbour's house at Bally Raheen in Lixnaw, in North Kerry. Lixnaw is off the... Um, to Listall Road off to the west there south of Listall and they called there and they found uh, the body of a woman in her 60s in the house uh, and um, arrived and they found also the body of her son a man in his 20s in the house both had been shot so they continued to search they were called for backup and the armed support unit from Cork was on its way down to assist because they thought there may be somebody at large who was armed but they found a third person the man's sorry the woman's husband who was also in the 60s he was found uh, in a field at the rear of the house and beside him they found a shotgun and Gary believed that the man shot his wife and son before taking his own life so uh, they say they're not looking for anybody else in connection with it but the investigation is at a very early stage still um, they cordoned off the house last night in the field and the bodies were retained in, in situ, as it were, and they requested services at the pathologist's office. I'm not sure which pathologist is coming here today, but the bodies remain there until they're examined at the scene by the pathologist, and then they'll be removed to University Hospital Gary for a post-mortem. Uh, Gary, under um, Paul Kennedy in the stall, they've set up an incident room uh, and that's where they'll coordinate the investigation from. But they've also asked for the National Technical Bureau to come from Dublin and ballistics experts. The ASU continued on to carry. Uh, they've been alerted that the person they suspected was the, the, the gunman or the shooter had been found dead, but they continued on to make the gun safe. So the gun will be examined today, and of course there'll be checks carried out then to see whether it was legally held and so forth. And also, Gary um, will be doing door-to-door inquiries. My understanding is, um, I haven't been up there, but my understanding is it's a, it's a remote enough rural area, so door-to-door inquiries might be quite a, a distance around, as it were. But they'll be trying to establish when these people were last seen alive. And um, were there any indications, as it were, had anybody been in contact with, say, 
mental health services. I, I imagine the pathologist will be able to establish an approximate time of death anyway. I presume, yeah, there should be some uh, indication there. They say it was after nine when they were discovered, but when were they last in nine? Was it yesterday? Was it earlier? Um, Monday, perhaps, or when? So they'll be pursuing all those lines of inquiry and uh, listening to a local parish priest, uh, Father Anthony O'Sullivan from McSnow, was saying, you know, the place is in shock. There's a sense of numbness. People can't comprehend it, which well, is not surprising. You don't expect these things to happen. And your doorstep says, we discovered it, but can talk to them some tragedies again people in a state of of shock in both those communities and I'm sure the laws are different today. Yeah, and this will resonate very sadly with the, with the communities in Mitchellstown and Canturk. But it is, of course, fresh and raw in the Kerry communities and especially around Lixnall, where no explanation is really coming, uh, except that no, it looks as though, it looks as though uh, it, it's a double homicide, uh, stroke suicide. That's what it looks like, we yeah, can't say for definite. That's, that's what it looks like, and as I said, at this point, they're not looking for anybody else uh, at the moment, but obviously the post mortems will clarify a lot. I suppose if anybody's affected by the sort of issues that this arises, Theatre House um, are there, and they're in 1800-247-247. The Samaritans as well can assist by um, telephoning 116123 or emailing joe, uh, J-O, at uh, Samaritans.ie. So, you know, it's... Um, there's obviously a lot of trouble, a sad, difficult situation out there that we don't know about. Sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's really all we can say, Barry, because we need to leave the experts do their own investigating now, and uh, there's no point in us speculating. We just recognise uh, the shock, the horror, the numbness, the sadness that has been uh, inflicted by the incident on uh, the people in the surrounding areas of Lixnaw and. Uh, uh, I imagine the Guardian will be engaging with the local community as will the local clergy and uh, in the fullness of time I think we'll probably have uh, uh, a full or a more detailed at least uh, account of you what happened. From a yard point of view they'll be preparing a file for the coroner's court to inquest there but meanwhile there's a I suppose the people of Lixnaw have to come to terms with this as best they can today and as you said the local clergy and others presumably will be um, mm-hmm. assisting in whatever way they can. So, okay. Thanks, Barry. We never get really to talk about happy things, but we do thank you for no, bringing us all the details. No. Thanks a million. Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. That's Barry Roach, Southern Correspondent with the uh, Irish Times. Of course, as you'll have heard Lana in our news bulletin say, there's been another uh, fatality in Goulds Hill near Mallow. Gardaí not looking for anybody in relation to that incident either and treating it as a personal tragedy. And if you've been affected by any of the stories, uh, either that one we're talking to uh, Barry Roach about in Lixnaw in Bally Rehan in Lixnaw uh, last evening or indeed by the story about the fatality in uh, Goulds Hill in Mallow. Once again, if you're affected by any of the issues in these stories, please contact Pieta House. Once again, their number is 1-800-247-247. That's 1-800-247-247. Or the Samaritans, you can telephone 116-123. It's a free call, 116-123. Or if you prefer to email and maybe get a contact back from the Samaritans, it's Joe. It's not J-O-E, it's just J-O. J-O at Samaritans.ie. And uh, we'll be back in a moment on the Neil Prenderville Show. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red.
FM. 26 minutes past nine. Yesterday we were speaking to Tom, who was annoyed at the speed of cyclists and was afraid accidents may happen as a result. We also spoke to John, who was hit by a cyclist. Now, this is more particular uh, about cyclists who are invading footpaths and, uh, you know, the silence of a cycle uh, coming at you if you make a sudden turn uh, can cause an accident. And that's kind of what happened to John. He walked out onto a footpath from a set of steps and was hit by a cyclist. We're joined on line one by Darren, who's an avid cyclist. Hi, Darren. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Now, of course, uh, you would probably say that cyclists get a bad rap, especially from motorists. Yes, yes, yes. Like, cyclists don't belong on footpaths. And as somebody who's a cycle campaigner, you know, we're constantly um, arguing for for cyclists on roads. And what we have is we have ill-informed motorists shouting out the window, get onto the footpath. You know, so cyclists don't want to be on a footpath. Now, yes, you do need to cross a footpath at the stage, just like a car crosses the footpath coming out of a gate. But, you know, you should do it with care, due attention, moving slowly. Mm-hmm. So generally, people who are committed cyclists, people who are regular cyclists, people who would call themselves cyclists, tend to avoid the footpath where at all possible. Like, yes, when they're coming in and out of their gate or whatever, or for a, a short little bit with, with extreme care. Okay, but, but cy- cyclists... and sp- motorists on bikes tend to cycle on the footpath. Yes. what you get. Okay, uh, we have scooters, we have electric bikes, uh, the, you know, the, the smaller bikes that are powered uh, and that kind of thing on footpaths and that should not be happening at all. Whether there's bylaws or anything to, to curb that, I don't know, but it should, they should not be on the footpaths. They shouldn't. And if we had safer roads, there'd, there'd be much less likely to be there. You know, what you often have is you say teenagers who are told by their parents who don't cycle and are drivers, stay on the footpath. Like I had a guard stop me and tell me when I was cycling with my daughter to get onto the footpath. You know. And I, Seriously, I, where was that? On, on South Main Street. Get onto the footpath. Get onto the footpath. Okay. So maybe there's a little bit of um, a little and bit of confusion, even, like even in legal circles. That, but, yeah. you know, there is no confusion on, in, in legal terms. Um, bikes belong on the road. And, and the roads should be safe, that cyclists feel safe on the roads. Now, they're not always safe enough. They're, mu- they're, they're not as safe as they should be. Now, cycling is far safer than driving. Walking is far safer than driving. And to put this in context, there are more cyclists, there are more pedestrians in Europe killed every day than have been killed by cyclists in the last hundred years. Say that again? There are more, more pedestrians killed in Europe on average every day than there, are, than there have been killed by cyclists in the last hundred years. And that's pedestrians being killed by cars, is it? By, by cyclists. You know, pedestrians being killed by cars. Okay. Right and then. You know, Look, it, it, we're looking at cycling now and, and, you know, the general sport that it's become in a different light than it was maybe 50, 60 years ago. When bicycles were the, uh, the mechanism for moving meat and milk and produce and uh, delivery boys and also a means of transport to get to work in the times when the cars we're not either fully developed here or could be fully afforded. It's now, of course, a very glamorous sport as well. And people are using it not just for recreation, uh, but for achieving and maintaining a level of fitness. That, that's not what I see. What I see in the city centre is what you described in the first. Most cyclists I see in, in Cork City are going to and from work. They're doing their shopping. You know, they're going where they need to go. They're going about their business. It's not a sport. People are dressed, you know, to arrive, not in Lycra. Yes, if you go out to some of the, the more the more rural areas, the more suburban areas, you, you may see a lot of sports cyclists. But what I see in the city 
a cyclist going to and from work, to and from shops, dropping their kids to school, mm. picking their kids, kids up from school, people making deliveries on the bike. I moved house, you know, with everything on my bike. Wow. You know, that, that, that's the reality of, of, of cycling today. Yes, if you see somebody all clad in lycra flying along at high speed on a road where you don't expect to see cyclists, that's more memorable than the 25 cyclists you passed going through the city centre, all going about their business. Yeah, because they look natural in that environment. They look natural, exactly. There's no special clothes. There's nothing special involved. And that, that's, you know, Bike Week is coming up next week, and that's a message we very much need to get out, that you don't need any special preparations to, to, to cycle other than a, a reasonably well-maintained bike. Yeah, I, I was coming from Kinsale on, on the back road to Carrigaline. You know the way you turn off there at, uh, at Belgooley? Um, yeah. But over the last week, and uh, was held back for about 10 minutes by not two, but three abreast uh, cyclists blocking the entire road. Uh, and it's a windy road. It, it straightens in parts. Yeah. And we had to kind of wait. Uh, four or five cars actually had to wait for the straight part. Uh, and every one of them beeped in annoyance at these guys who just would not pull in. Uh, and and it's it, I, I'm, that's probably the exception to the rule. But there are these guys who say, no, we're entitled to be on the road uh, and you can't pass. Uh, and that's giving the entire sports cycling element of the community a bad name. It, will, it, it does, and that's very different to, say, the utilitarian cyclists. But I will say that I do know that road. And if I was on that road, most of the time, I would be well out because it's an narrow road and you have no business passing. In most places, I would move well out. And if I had someone with me, I would say, you know, you get inside, make sure they don't pass. It's irresponsible as a cyclist to move in when it's unsafe to pass. But I would move in where it was safe to pass and try and encourage the drivers to pass at that spot. Okay, so maybe there's a little bit of mutual misunderstanding between the cyclists and, and the motorists. They're entitled to be on the road. Uh, and, and also, of course, um, motorists who are a little perplexed or a little angry uh, by not, maybe not knowing the ins and outs of cycling are going to overtake them and leave less than a metre, which is very dangerous too. Yeah, and they'll also overtake on a blind corner. And like also on, on a bike, you, you know... If, you get in, if you're used to driving and you cycle out and you get into a car, it's shocking how little you can see in a car, how poor the visibility is. And often I would be on a country road coming up around the corner and I would see there's something coming the other direction and the guy behind, if I pulled in, would overtake on the corner into the oncoming traffic. And, you know, they're getting annoyed behind me and I'm pulling out to make sure they don't overtake on a blind corner into oncoming traffic that I can see and they can't. You know, and that, that, that's, that's not an unusual situation. Um, you know, most drivers are reasonably confident. Well, I'd say a small majority of drivers are reasonably confident. And they'll give me a nice wave and, and that. When I've, you know, held them back on the, on, on the corner, they see something coming against and I pull in when it straightens out. But, you know, you know there are people who, even if there's, there's oncoming traffic, feel that they have a right the path of cyclists. Sure, and, and, and the considerate motorists will give you a beep or give you a quick flash of the hazards yeah. when they pass. And, and it's not as if motorists are re regularly held back by cyclists. The cyclists are far more often held back behind motorists. Motorists tend to block up the entire lane, you know, participating in traffic jams. And, you know, the cyclist is far more likely to be stuck behind a car than a car is likely to be stuck behind a cyclist. Really? You know, that, that's the reality. You know, I'm all, all the time stuck behind cars. Cars can't fit through. Cars will often overtake you and, and, and in front, you know, coming up to a narrow spot where there's a parked car and then stop because they can't fit through a space that you can. Uh, okay. you, you know, that, that's five, six times a day. You'll get a car will dangerously overtake you in order to jam on the brakes 
because they can't fit through the next spot. And you could. And I could. You know, so it's 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 unusual that a motorist is stuck behind a cyclist. And if they are, they're generally not delayed at the next traffic light. You know, they're they're rushing to, to form a queue at the next traffic light. Okay, and, and and what about the lycra-clad sports cyclists, the ones with the you know the baboon arse on them? <laughs> I don't do much. I don't own any lycra, but you know um, they have a right to be on the road too. I suppose I that's so. not that's not, not 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 something I am really very knowledgeable about. That's not the sort of cyclist you see in the city where I am. That's not the sort of people I know. You know, cycling is how you get from A to B. So I, if I want to get to a meeting, if I want to get to the shops, if I want to go out for the evening, you know, if I want to do anything that I need to do, I'll do it on a bike. Okay. What do you feel about cyclists uh, wearing helmets and high-vis vests? Do they do it enough? Should it be uh, should it be law that you like like you do on a motorbike that you have to have a helmet? I, I, I don't like talking about helmets because the reality is that even if a helmet could magically protect you from from being rolled over by a bus, it would cost lives. Because what a helmet does is it, it puts on a label saying cycling's not safe and you should do it, you, you should avoid doing it. And the reality is that when you cycle, it adds years to your life. What's dangerous is not cycling. You know, cycling every day instead of driving halves your risk of dying in a given year. And, and helmets do very little, if anything, uh, to keep you safe. High vis, if, if, if I am cycling on a country road at night or even on a winter's day, or if I'm going out into the busy roads in the suburbs, I will absolutely have some high vis. If I am doing the sort of cycling I do every day through the city centre during the daylight, Wearing high vis um, is absolutely pointless, and you know it's there, there's there's no reason why you should be doing it. Okay, now how do you feel? This is from a texture. How do you feel about cyclists breaking red lights and uh, Deliveroo and Just Eat drivers? I don't want to be castigating just those two companies, but delivery drivers in general. Obviously, yeah, we shouldn't be breaking red lights, but we know from the the, the, the RSA does does safe surveys every year on on motorist and cyclist behaviour, and we know that. Um, a motorist is five to ten times more likely to break the law, to do something like breaking a red light than a cyclist. One in ten cyclists um, will have a tendency to break red lights, whereas for motorists, you're talking up to 60-70% of motorists when given the opportunity to, to speed or to break a light will do so. And, and that's there in black and white. I, I, I wouldn't say they, break, they drive through a red light from a stopped position. They may... Uh, you know, as a green goes to orange goes to red, push it, push it a little bit. It is far more dangerous because you'll find that most of the time when a cyclist, you know, goes through a red light from a stop position, they are doing it to be more safe because they have a driver behind them revving and they're turning left and they can see nothing is coming and they've edged around to get ahead, ahead of them. That's the sort of behavior you see from cyclists. Okay, what, what about cyclists driving around cars, on, on, on delivery drivers driving around cars, and you, you can see them because of the companies they work for, weaving in and out of cars on Patrick Street, stopped or, or slightly moving or whatever? Well, you, you know, the, the, the cyclists should be able to overtake um, cars that are stopped. Now, there, there's, there's a point where that's good, and there's a point where it ceases to be, to be good, and then there's a point where it, ceases, where it starts to be reckless, you know? But, you know, you should be, if there's a car stopped, you should be able to go around it, and you, you should, rather than staying behind in the, in the fumes behind. It's, it's, it's not reasonable, it's not responsible, it's, it's not a sensible thing to do to stay sitting behind a car that you can go around. 
Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear you talking sensibly on that because I was just about to call you Darren, the patron saint of cyclists. Uh, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're not all holier than thou. Can, can I ask you then... No, wait, uh, think, think about this. If you have someone who is irresponsible, and, you know, the evidence is that cyclists are less irresponsible, but, you know, there are some who are. But if you have that person who's irresponsible, would you prefer to see him on a bike or would you prefer to see him behind the wheel of something that can move a lot faster, is a lot heavier and has a lot worse view of the road? But that's just saying that uh, cycling uh, and, you know, the whole activity around cycling is, is, is far the irresponsible. If, if I'm to throw your no, argument no, back at you. It, well, you know, if, if, if I had someone who's irresponsible, I would definitely prefer to see him on a bike than in a car. All right. But the reality is that the people who are responsible are more likely to drive than cycle. Okay, if I was to ask you to make a plea to motorists and make a plea to cyclists, and, and you know, we're, we're generalising here, all motorists, all cyclists, sports, work, delivery, whatever. Well, what would you like to see change from both sides? Well, I, I would like to basically the same thing for both, that if you're on, 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 a, on a bike or in a car, their first priority should be pedestrians. Your next priority should be cyclists. Your next priority then should be the bigger vehicles. And if you're in a big truck or a bus, you should be you should be careful of the smaller vehicles, smaller motor vehicles on the road. You know, there is a tendency on the road to have the bullying rules, the might is right. The bigger the vehicle, the more space, the more priority you get. That's the opposite to the way it should be. Cyclists should yield to pedestrians. Motorists should yield to cyclists. And big, heavy vehicles should yield to small little cars. You know, that, that makes an awful lot of sense. Say, say that again. You know, who should yield to who? Know, cyclists should yield to pedestrians. That doesn't mean a pedestrian should deliberately step out in front of one. You know, motorists should yield to cyclists. That doesn't mean a cyclist should swing out in front of a car. But, you know, they should yield to them. And the bigger, heavier vehicles on the road, the big HGVs, should be yielding and should be tolerant and shouldn't bully about um, small, smaller vehicles, you know? Yeah, but t- taking in mind the, the visibility from one of the, you know, from a HGV can often be yeah, very limited yeah. itself. You do, and you, you know, I would say one thing, always, if you are anywhere near a HGV, if you cannot see the driver's face in the wing mirror, he cannot see you. Okay, so that's whenever a fair I point. Behind the HGV, I look in the wing mirror, I make eye contact with the driver. Then I know he's seen me, he knows I've seen him, and then we can negotiate around when is a safe time for me to pass him. Because the reality is it's far more likely that I'm stuck behind him than he's stuck behind uh-huh. me. You know something, Darren? You're like the Connor Faulkner of AA Roadwatch for cyclists. <laughs> yes. Before I go, could I mention Bike Week? Bike Week is Please coming do. up next week. So there will be a load of exciting and interesting events. So if people could check out uh, Cork Bike Week on the on, online, on Facebook, on on Instagram, on Twitter, and also with the Transmobility Forum and Coordinator for Transmobility Forum. If you check out our Facebook page and the Cork Environmental Facebook page, there will be all sorts of interesting cycles, from longer ones for people who are a bit more confident cyclists. We're cycling out to a waterfall, we're cycling out to Cove, to short evening cycles. We'll be doing a tour of the parklets in the city. We'll be doing a tour of street art. We'll be doing a culture crawl on culture night. We'll be doing a, a cycle through the solar system, a cycle through time. So there's something 170 events in Cork County, city and county, in over the next week. So there'll be something there for everybody, from the people who are already wow. avid cyclists to those who've never really been on a bike. But if you can get yourself on a bike and you're you're confident on it, it will change your life. Everything but a pub crawl, I imagine. No pub crawls this year, unfortunately. No <laughs> pub crawls. <laughs> Darren, thanks a million. The very best of luck with uh, with Bike Week as well, and all of those great events. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. Thanks. Yes, cheers. Bye bye. 
Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-810-4106. Red FM. Coming up on a quarter to ten now, Jen Bowler is a singer with Sparkle. She's going to join me in a moment. Uh, it's a band. And uh, we have a little bit of audio here from the last time uh, before we speak to Jen that uh, Sparkle were in studio uh, with Neil Prenderville. I follow you until the end of time. If you could promise you be That's Jen Bowler and Sparkle, who were in studio a little while back with uh, Neil Prandeville. And Jen joined us on the line. Good morning, Jen. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm very good. You're a bit annoyed that the PUP payment has been cut, I suppose. Uh, it had to be cut at some stage. The timing, though, for musicians is not ideal, is it? Yeah, no, it's not great. Like, they're only kind of letting us get back to work now since Monday, and they're kind of cutting the rate starting from next week, like, you know. As if you could just turn on the, turn on the gigs like a tap. Yeah, I know, yeah, sure. Make up for the last 19 months there overnight. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's just the timing isn't great. Like, you know, um, like music is allowed since Monday, as I said there. Um, but they're cutting the all the payments by 50 euro starting from next week. Like, you know, and so 50 euro is an awful lot, like when you're on a lower payment like that, like, you know. Yeah, but can I ask, and it's probably a, a question you may take a little umbrage with, uh, how many musicians are going to um, come off the PUP and go back to full-time playing? Or how many will just take the 50 cut and sneak in a couple of gigs? Well, I suppose a lot of people have had to kind of get other work, you know. They have kind of had to abandon, I suppose, music for the last 19 months anyway, you know, to try and keep a roof over their head and food on the table of mind, the family, that kind of stuff. Like, you know, um, so I think there will be a big change, I suppose, in the amount of musicians that are still able to gig full-time um, compared to what it was before the pandemic, you know. Um, so I don't know, like, you are allowed our money on the POP for a while as well, you know, there's like a 960 or limit over two months, so that's something at least, but it's just, I suppose, you know, like hopefully the diary will start filling up again, you know, and get busier and musicians will be able to get back to work, like, you know. Yeah, is is this being felt um, more particularly by musicians because, and once again, I don't want to offend, I'm all for, and I've been championing the return to music uh, a lot longer than most. Uh, is it because you're working in a way in a cash industry that not everything is invoiced? Um, I don't know really. Like I suppose that everyone kind of thinks, oh, you know, go and get a real job. But I suppose being a musician is a real job. You know, the hours are there. You have to put in the practice. You have to get lessons. You have to buy the gear. You know, there's so much. Like people just think, you know, musicians go to a pub and they play for two hours and they go home and they have a grand life. You know, like we do, and that's brilliant and that's the best part of it. But there's so much more than that. Like you know, like I said, buying equipment, practicing. You know learning first dances there's a lot of work that goes on in the background I suppose that people don't see even you know loading in and out the gear is is hard work like you know Yeah I, I, <laughs> um, I guess there's a difference between the, the dreams of a, of a young fledgling musician somebody wants to be you too yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody wants to be you know the hothouse flowers and somebody just wants to be Mr. Wedding Band Exactly yeah yeah it would be like it's very hard to get I suppose even original work out there as well you know um just, I suppose that's what we've been trying to do the last kind of year and a half, I suppose, just because there was nothing happening. We were doing our lives and stuff on Facebook, like that already, you know, just trying to keep our audience kind of with us. But um, I suppose we have a new single there now coming out on Friday as well um, on Spotify and Amazon and all those kind of platforms called Look At Me Now. But I suppose 
it was just trying to keep our name out there while there was nothing happening and hoping that, you know, the industry will go back to some sort of normality soon enough. You know? Yeah, I, I saw many, many musicians from, from here, from abroad, uh, on Facebook, doing Facebook Live uh, gigs, some very, very regular, every Friday or every Sunday or whatever, uh, and uh, and taking donations to Patreon and, and that kind of thing. Is that something you guys resorted to? Um, yeah, so like at the start we were kind of doing charity gigs. We did a charity gig for the Cope Foundation in Cork. That was our first live with Grey Crack with that like, and we made a couple of hundred euros for them, so we were delighted with that. Um, we kind of, we did do a couple of lives where we had our PayPal link up as well. Um, so that was that was good. Like we did, I suppose, yeah, we did have to resort to that like, and we kind of went busking as well. Um, in the end, we went up to Galway and by accident ended up busking, but it was a brilliant day. Like, you know, it was just great to do what we love and I suppose get paid for it. <laughs> you know? oh, there's, there's brilliant um, music on, uh, last time I was on Shop Street, I ended up buying an album from a, a busker. He was doing all of the... Um, uh, the blues and the guitar that Chet Atkins was doing. I was just mesmerized, went over and bought his album. Uh, that's, a, that's a great buzz there. Is that still happening on Winthrop Street and places like that in Cork? Um, yeah, I, I think there is busking. We haven't gone busking ourselves in Cork, but I know there are buskers all of the time in Cork. You know, it sure makes the city come alive. Like, you know, it sounds great. Like, when you go in and you're going, doing your bit of shopping to hear, you know, great buskers out there and stuff. You know, okay. so it was just, I suppose it was like last resort for everyone really trying to do what they love you know it was just it's been very hard you know not I suppose building up your career to a point and then just have it taken away and kind of, it kind of made it feel like it was worthless like you know because you you couldn't do what you loved and the government completely turned their back on us in my opinion you know um, they, they barred dancing from weddings they barred music from weddings and pubs like they really really caught us when you know 40,000 could go up to Croke Park then for a match you know that kind of way it was just I don't know very annoying <laughs> I, I, we've been through all of that I believe me ad nauseum but on another story your Instagram account and the Sparkle account uh, they were also hacked and people try to steal money from you guys yeah Mick don't even go there now I'm so annoyed um, yesterday my friend sent me a picture of my profile picture on Facebook and it was after being changed to like foreign writing I think it was Arab or something and then within seconds my whole Facebook crashed and it was gone and I couldn't log in and um, like I, I'd get over my personal account, but it's the Sparkle Facebook and Instagram pages are now gone, and I can't get into them. And in my Revolut there now as well, there's been attempts to take out cash from my account, so I'm after being hacked, you know. And um, like all of our brides and grooms and everything like that, like that's how we use our, our social media is our business, like you know. And like I have no way of contacting anyone now, and they can't contact us. And oh, I don't know what we're going to do. I was on to the guards this morning. They can't really do much, um, except they said just to advise the banks and stuff. But I don't know um, what to do now. I think Brenda gave me a number there now, so I'm going to have to ring the guy to see if I can do anything. But if yeah, I'm sure Revolut have a support test. They're based in Lithuania, aren't they? Uh, yeah, yeah. I fro- froze my car there now a minute ago as well, so that's fine. But um, if there are any anyone that has bookings with us, do get in contact. I can give out my number. It's 0876185740. Um, Sparkle hasn't disappeared. It's just the page. They're down at the moment, and I, I can't activate them. I can't even see okay, them. Okay, so, so for those who may have a booking with Sparkle, it's 0876185740. And also, yeah. that's available, of course, for those who may want to make a booking. Uh, tell me, yeah. tell people a little about Sparkle and uh, your, you know, your whole range of of abilities and, and where you're projecting your, your gigs to. Okay, well, we're um, a two-piece and a five-piece band. So we have the two-piece myself and Caroline do the acoustic set and then we have the band with Ian, Dave and Tyg. Um, so we do weddings, parties, functions, anything at all if you want to bring us up. To anything at all at this stage. stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally. All right, Jen. All. <laughs>
Thanks, th- thanks a million. And once again, Jen's number is 0876185740. Thanks a million. Best of luck and uh, hope the gigs increase as the pop decreases. Thanks a million. Our new song is out on Friday as well. Okay, Thanks what's it called again? Uh, Look at me now. Look at me now. Spotify on Friday. That's Sparkle. Thanks a million, Jen. Let's go to line one. Michael, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very good. We were bound to get the call, of course. The CAO is a mess for some people. Uh, what happened to you and your daughter? Yeah, my, well, my daughter uh, logged on yesterday and there was no offer on her page. And uh, when she tried to, well, she ended up locking herself out, but she managed to email the CAO to get back into her page and in when she was looking into it there was an email sent to her to her, her CAO page in July requesting her uh, details on her exam number but like she, she had no reason to be on her CAO page for the whole summer but other friends of hers have actually got phone call, you know, um, text messages and emails to their actually their own you know, personal items, you know what I mean, like their phone or their whatever, requesting updates, but hers were never requested. Okay, that seems, uh, that's a strange one. If if other people got texts and she didn't, uh, and I take your point, why would she be on CAO any time before around now, you know? Yeah, but also there's another boy in her class who's in the same position and a girl in the same school. But but why, why I got onto is because their career guidance teacher sat them all down on the day to fill out their whole, you know, their CAO application forms to make sure that everybody had the right details, the right place, if you know what I mean, to make sure that they was all done 100%. And are you happy that uh, it was all done 100% on, on your daughter's case? Uh, yeah, I'm full sure because, like, she, like I'm not tech-savvy, tech but she's, you know what I mean, she's clued in. Like all young people stay, and but she's not going to leave out her exam number. That's the most important thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true, you know. And but but other friends of hers have been contacted when they were, you know, confirming PPS numbers or otherwise, you know, that from the CEO. But she had no contact whatsoever. Okay. And she thinks the other the the lad in her class was in the same position. Like he never got any contact throughout the whole summer. Okay, maybe it was uh, maybe something failed on the submission side that it all didn't go through or something. Yeah, but but you think like they they have all her details, her name, her address, her phone number, her personal email account, and that nobody contacted her whatsoever. So yeah, that's that's a that's a puzzle. But what happens now? She's going to be included in the second round of offers, is she? Yeah, that's what they've. But she's trying to like she she managed to email them yesterday just to get back into her account, but there there's no update like she she received information further on the day to say that she'll be considered in the next round. But but it's like, you know, why wasn't she contacted? You know what I mean? Why why would they just email her uh, her CAO account and not herself personally? You know That's a strange one, yeah. Let's get to the bottom of that yeah. one. Uh, because but what's gonna happen now is she could be subject to uh, being excluded because of the random uh, offers that are that uh, are happening as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you know, and as well that also that like she was going for primary teaching, which was four nine five points last year, and now it's gone up uh, twenty eight points. Wow! And like she she had five ten. You know what I mean? Which she thought would be enough to get her through this time. Oh, around. that's the cruelest thing, isn't it? When and, that happens. 
Yeah, you know what I mean, how she's... But, but as I was talking to a person I know, and their daughter is was doing teaching last year, and nearly a quarter of all the people who were going to college last year deferred it to this year because they couldn't do it online. That's right. Uh, and, you know, you know there, there was, a, there was a, a certain amount of criticism leveled at the government last year because of the handling of the Leaving Cert and the results and all that. It seems to me, and it's only to me, uh, that that criticism was not wanted this year. So they put a system in place, a sort of a blended either or or both, uh, which caused this grade inflation uh, and has kept people substantially happy. But I, I think the, you know, in the post for next year is going to be the six years of this year who now have a bar set way, way too high for many of them. Uh, I think it's going to come home to roost again next year if it's quiet this year. Yeah, yeah, you know, but it's it's totally unfair, you know, the whole situation of, but but as well when you're when you're talking about you know the college placements and things, I know of uh, two people who have who are going back as mature students, but they've been offered, they were more or less told in in June that they have a place for September, but that they won't get it in writing, and it's like it's it's you know what I mean it's a play on. Dual numbers, it's like just to keep them off the, the live register. Keep them off the live register, as it were, yeah. All right, Michael, I have to leave it there. We'll try to get to the bottom of why she didn't get that offer. It only came to her email account or her CAO actual account uh, and not to her personal phone. Uh, but listen, thanks yeah. for bringing that up. And there's two more in her class as well. So we'll see if we can get yeah, to the bottom of that. Both. No, I was just wondering numbers across the whole country. Yeah, like let's see, let's see if our listeners are, are experiencing this issue as well. Uh, yeah. At the moment, thanks for now. It's two and a half minutes to ten. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from seven for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best, and newest names in Irish music. You're listening to the Emerald Award-winning Music Station of the Year, Cork's Red FM, one hundred four to one hundred six Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. And it's Mick Mulcahy in for Neil until Friday. He's back on uh, Monday morning, just after news at nine. Siobhan, good morning to you. Hello, Mick. How are you? Good. Now, on the uh, CAO subject, you can shed a little light on what might have happened, I think. Well, um, I just remember um, looking at my husband's uncle's mobile phone um, and there was a message came through and it had on it the CAO and it was, Dear John, I can't remember whose name it was now, uh, please log into your CAO account uh, for a message or something. Um, now, obviously, he hasn't applied to, well, not obviously, but he hadn't applied to CAO. He's 75 and um, he wasn't expecting a text like that. So we just ignored it, thinking it was a scam. Yeah. So possibly that's what happened to someone. Okay, so whereas they might have put their exam number in and they can check that, they may have inadvertently put the wrong telephone number in. Exactly. They might have, uh, maybe people should check their contact details or perhaps it was from the CAO on their end that they, when they were sending out a text message, that they input the wrong they number. They input the wrong number, but wrong that person. can't be proven either. So uh, e- no, either way, this poor girl hasn't got her, uh, her offer because of it. Uh, so we yeah. would like to get to the bottom of it, but that sheds a certain yeah. amount of light yeah. on that. Very that's odd, one, isn't that's it? That's one incident anyway. So No, we just thought it was because he gets uh, Bank of Ireland messages and, you know, he wouldn't uh, do online banking or anything like that. So we just ignored it and thought that it was, you know, just another scam, you know. Mm. So, yeah. But obviously not. It was someone else's... He's not getting N- Nigerian princes wanting to give away all of their gold and wealth, no? Well, he doesn't answer the phone, so we don't know who... He does get odd phone calls, all right, but um, he doesn't answer them, so... Yeah, there's many of them. I wonder are they the predominantly cloned? You know, the Irish-looking numbers, which are they're kind of always foreign-sounding, shall we say? Uh, I'm getting a lot of English calls at the moment that uh, are just trying to sell shares and bits and pieces. 
Uh, but um, they, they always know your name. I think they maybe get that from your social media or something. I don't know, but I know that my husband got one um, and they were wanted to know if he had Bitcoin and stuff like that. And he just played along with them and told him he'd loads of it and <laughs> eventually gave up. So, Yeah, um, of course, uh, some people take a little perverse pleasure in keeping these people on the line. And, and you'll see them posting yeah. on social media. I kept a scammer on the line for 35 minutes, thereby saving other people, uh, five or six other people, the five minutes of agony that they might have went through. Well, that's the way I would look at it too. If they're if they're talking to you, they're not bothering someone exactly. else. Exactly. So. Okay. But anyway, your husband's uncle got messages from the CAO. He had nothing to do with any CAO application. So either the students anyway. put in the wrong number, which I would doubt, or perhaps the CAO uh, texted the wrong number, which is possible, but also doubtful. But something uh, has well, gone on uh, here. Yeah. Uh, something happened somewhere in between because he got text messages for someone that weren't his. Okay. So. Okay, that sheds a little light on, on the subject. Okay. Thanks a million. Okay. Thanks, Siobhan. Right, thank you. Bye, bye, bye. Another caller uh, corroborating that. A caller says the same thing happened to her 19-year-old son. Uh, he got no offers either. Exactly the same situation. I wonder, uh, it's, when it's happening more than once, something must be wrong in the system. Uh, not every student can get their number wrong. And not everybody texting from the CAO uh, can input wrong numbers. Something is amiss here. And we'd love to get to the bottom of it. On line two, we have a different topic. Now, Cassandra, good morning. Good morning, Mick. How are you? We don't talk to many Cassandras. <laughs> it's a rare name, all right? It's a lovely name. And it, it, Thank does you. anyone ever call your partner Rodney, no? No, no, not yet, anyway. <laughs> they will now? Oh, God. <laughs> T- tell us about, we had a we had a cancelled ice cream van yesterday, which we have sorted. I'm going to bring you details on that a little later on. You've had a company cancelling a bouncy castle. Yeah, I booked um, a bounce cast for my daughter on the 17th of June when we got the date. Her communion is this Saturday on the 11th. I got a text from the company at 10 o'clock last night that they didn't have the staff to drop or collect the bouncing castle. Now, going by comments that I've seen and stuff, it seems to be happening a lot of people at the moment. Yeah, uh, there's plenty of work out there. It's it's not that they can't find people to... To actually do it, exactly. There's... Do you know? And I've he. So you think it's an opportune him. way for him to cancel and maybe make more money locally and, and make have more less money? Travel. I think. Do you know? Because I don't think a lot of communion dates were given out. Well, when June, that when that you know? happens, and and you know, you have your booking in early. Let's say, call it a hundred euro, and, yeah. and 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 the people who can afford to say, okay, now we have a definite date. And money's yeah. no object for, for our little Johnny or Mary. Uh, let's get out there yeah. and get. And I'll offer three hundred, four hundred, five hundred. You're you're out of yeah. the game, like. So, oh, sure, I know. And I'd say that's what it is to do with money. Do you know, I had got my booking in early just because we got our date for the 11th of September. And I think that's what it has to do with more is the money side, you know. So where do you go from here? So I got onto a company this morning, so it looks like I have one thought for the only thing she's asked me for. I know communions aren't about big parties, but it's the only thing she's asked me for. Is a bouncing castle. Is a bouncing castle. She didn't ask. She didn't ask for anyone to come. She just wanted a bouncing castle. Okay. Will you let us know if you get that? Because we I have would. had some success in sourcing these things for for people who have been let down like that. It's very bad form, isn't it? Uh, it is. And four days beforehand, you know, I was delighted yesterday. I got all the last few bits that I needed for it, and I was like, I can relax now for the next few days. And then, and, to and then get kaboom! A message like that at ten o'clock last night, and he had. The company haven't replied back to any of my text messages, my Facebook messages. I'm being ignored totally now. Okay. Let's not slander the company here because they may have genuine reasons. Uh, But I think in the fullness of time, social media will catch up on them anyway. 
Uh, and all of the cancellers. Let's. Uh, I wonder how many uh, other cancellations are out there. We've had ice cream vans cancelled, bouncing castles cancelled, as what it would seem to me, companies take the opportunity uh, to use the late announcement of communions and confirmations uh, to put the boot in and leverage more money out of the whole situation. Yes, that's what I was thinking as well myself. This yeah. is just about money and all that rather than anything else, you know. Yeah, okay. So will you leave us know if you, if you get one? And uh, is, is is the one you're getting the one she wants? No, no. The one that I managed to source isn't a girly one, let's just say. Okay. So, but what's the, what's the ideal you. bouncing castle here? Not that, uh, you know, we may not be successful here because they're going to be in huge demand. But we can try anyway. Um... I'm not looking for anything in particular, do you know what? Just a girly bouncy castle. Just a girly. Any what I've ordered, what I've, I'm talking to a different company there at the moment. What we have coming in is going to be absolutely huge. Um, so I don't know. I have to go up now and measure gardens and everything. Um, okay. So she's such an easygoing kid. God love her, do you know. I'm heartbroken for her and see her little face this morning, do you know and. I was like, I'll try my best for you, you know. And she's like, thanks, mum. Okay, listen, if, if there's a company you know? out there with 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 a a, a castle that's girl orientated, probably the you know the fairy princess castle or something like that. Oh, I have yeah. to be careful here because I'll be given out to for being sexist. Uh, you know. I know, I know. Um, but if there's a company out there with a girly bouncy castle, uh, and uh, you would like to trade that for a huge plug on the Neil Prelleville show, uh, and you can facilitate Cassandra and her daughter, we'd be delighted to uh, to put that your way. Okay. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks, Cassandra. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bye-bye. Take care. Uh, And I want to come back to Jackie yesterday, who was uh, using the power of affirmation to say, I'll have a ice cream van booked by the end of today. Well, that did actually happen. Uh, Hi, Mick. Alfie here from Tony Bell Ices. After hearing about Vicky's cancellation of her ice cream van for her daughter's communion on this Saturday the 11th, I contacted Red FM after the show and he got Vicky to contact me. I'll be sending a van to do it for her for free and hope she has a great day in these strange times. That's the Vicky story and I would appreciate if you can announce it on air. It wasn't Tony Bell Ices that cancelled on her booking in the first place. Uh, great show and I'm glad I could help out, said Alfie from Tony Bell Isis. Very, very generously uh, giving of uh, their equipment there to help out in the Mallow area, Vicky's cancellation. Uh, and Jackie didn't have a cancellation, she just didn't have an ice cream van or a coffee van. And that's been sorted too. And the family are very thankful there. And I think we may have even got them a coffee stand or a coffee uh, horse box uh, at no charge. So that's even better uh, for the communion that's going to be in it. So Vicky's cancellation sorted by the Neil Prendival show. Ice cream van heading her way for the communion on Saturday. If you remember, her daughter lost her uncle stroke godfather and has been distraught. So we're delighted to help out in that situation. And uh, to Jackie, who started the whole uh, cancellation vibe on the show. Uh, she's been looked after as well. Coffee stand will be uh, at that family's communion on Saturday. Or is it a birthday? I can't remember. And uh, and that is all sorted. And so that's the Bouncing Castle call out there. Please, if you've got a girly related Bouncy Castle, and you can do it uh, for this lady, then please help us out. Uh, another uh, caller got a text message from the CAO as well, uh, who did her leaving cert years ago. Something is going on with people who shouldn't be getting text messages from the CAO, getting them, and those who are awaiting with bated breath their texts to verify their CAO offers, not getting them at all. Uh, we'd like to get to the bottom of it, but something is amiss. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And a very good morning. Nearly 20 minutes past 10. Now, almost 200 children have been waiting more than three years 
for genetics treatment here and the lists look like set uh, to grow further due to staff shortages at the only hospital offering this service. Altogether, there were 2,747 children waiting for genetic services up to mid-August in Children's Health Ireland, which is based in Crumlin. And the shortages of specialist doctors is a huge challenge for families with just three consultants available. Let me give you that number again. 2,747 children waiting for genetics services. There are three consultants available, according to Vicky McGrath, Chief Executive of Rare Diseases Ireland. An estimated 300,000 people live with a rare disease here, but she said access to counselling, and in some cases even to a diagnosis, is extremely limited. And children who need treatment for rare genetic uh, conditions are facing waits of up to three years now due to a shortage of specialists. And Rebecca O'Reardon joins us on line three. Good morning, Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, how's it going? Hi, how are you? Now, you're a mum of two-year-old Emmy, and Emmy needs genetic testing. Tell me about her. She has actually just uh, completed her genetic testing. Um, I suppose uh, that's... um, She started having uh, seizures when she was about seven months old. um, And then, kind of, she had developmental delays, and it was recommended that she get genetic testing done as kind of a matter of urgency um, as there's a history of epilepsy in the family. Okay. So her neurologist ordered those genetic testing, um, which, you know, I mean, a geneticist or a geneticist is the person who interprets the results. They can order tests as well, but I suppose neurologists and pediatricians can also order those tests if they're kind of familiar enough with that area. Um but it kind of, it started off, um, I suppose, a battle that we weren't really, I don't know, I don't know why we, I don't it's, we didn't expect, I suppose, really. Um, we, you know, if things got, you know, we would go from post to pillar to post to pillar. Mm-hmm. And whenever, I suppose, something doesn't really fit in the box, um you know, I mean, there's two kind of areas. There's metabolics and then there's genetics and you could have a, a metabolic reason for something, you could have a genetic reason for something. So that's kind of where where you end up going. But I suppose because there was a strong um, feeling that it was a genetic um, issue, we kind of thought, right, we'll get to the we'll get to the genetics appointment and then all the answers will become clear. Um, which, you know, if it wasn't for people like Rare Ireland, that's probably what we still would... You'd still would be waiting, yeah. We'd still, we'd still be thinking that we... It was it was thanks to the support of Rare Ireland that we were able to advocate for our daughter and know what we were even looking for. Um, because the issue, I suppose, that's facing a lot of children right now is that first we had COVID and you're sitting in a hospital room and you can't... You can't even swap out with your partner because obviously it's very, you know, understandably at the time, at the start of COVID. Um, but you're sitting in a hospital room and all you have is your phone and you're sitting by your child's bed and you can't leave and you have no answers. And everybody who you're speaking to doesn't, they either don't know or they're too busy to explain it. Okay, now Emmy's age just two now. Uh, and you yeah. say she's had her genetic test, but she spent much of her... Uh, to date short life in Cork University Hospital and Temple Street and in Crumlin Hospitals uh, trying to get for, yes. for you to get answers and comfort as to, as to what is uh, what exactly she has and how do you proceed? 
Yeah, so I suppose it's because it started with the seizures and we just kind of thought that it was the seizures. Um, but she had also had these kind of strange eye movements and so we were quite concerned. Uh, but she's quite difficult to... Um, she's like it's very difficult to sedate her and at the time the service of MRI under general anaesthetic wasn't available up at Cork University Hospital uh, and the waiting we tried multiple different hospitals to to sedate her um, and it, it never really worked and she needed a general anaesthetic but sure that, that service that waiting list is years and years long years and years and, and so it seems like a neurology issue is it like epilepsy or something like that yeah, like um, there, she has a diagnosis of epilepsy, but then the kind of the kind of things going alongside it's like the developmental delay and things like that. There's not really an explanation. Like she doesn't have um, severe epilepsy, so there's no reason that she should have these delays, if, if you know what I mean. Um, so they felt that it was a it was a genetic thing. So. Um, like we eventually had a CT, and that showed something in her brain. Um, then we went up to Temple Street and then they did an MRI and that showed they didn't, they couldn't understand. They didn't, the thing that they thought they saw on the CT wasn't there anymore. And then, you know, you're just going from post to pillar and nobody really understands what's going on. And I suppose, you know, first you have COVID, then you have the, the hacking and they changed the assessment of need process. Then the progressing the children's disability services in Cork, you know, they've collapsed altogether, really. Wow, you've become an unwitting expert in this area. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. I mean, we it took it took us 18 months to get the appointment with the geneticist. We went to the child, Ombudsman for Children. Um, we went down the legal route. Um, we contacted TDs. We contacted the Taoiseach's office. Um, and... It shouldn't. It shouldn't be that way because if a child is suspected of, of having a genetic condition, then then things are, you know, then th- th- that needs to be kind of dealt with. Whether it's um, whether it's routine or whether it's urgent. Right now, the wait is about three to four years, and wow. that's completely unacceptable. Um, Niamh Griffin, the health correspondent in the Irish Examiner, did a wonderful job in uncovering some of the data here, and I'll use uh, some of her data. Uh, so I want to give her that mention and that courtesy. Data provided by the hospital shows there were 178 children waiting three to four years for a routine or semi-urgent appointment as of mid-August. A further 569 had waited two to three years, 686 for one to two years. Another 520 children were waiting six to 12 months by then. There were 457 children waiting three to six months, including two children marked urgent, and another 337 children were waiting up to three months including seven needing urgent care. And speaking to Neve Griffin, a hospital spokeswoman said, there's a reduction in activity for 2021, which is attributed to a consultant being on long-term unplanned leave and a consultant who has retired in genetics. In addition, of course, the old chestnut, in addition to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and the recent cyber attack. It's like the perfect storm for you guys. That doesn't help though. That's it. I mean, every every person you meet will tell you, oh, it's this this thing, this thing, this thing happened. And all you're waiting for really next is an alien invasion that only affects the provision of children's disability services. It really is. I mean, the thing is, if even if we got a diagnosis in the morning, right, there's plenty of children that, you know, are within rare Ireland that never get a diagnosis. And then there's children that do get a diagnosis, but they're handed a piece of paper. Like, we got some information, but we were handed a piece of paper and they don't, you know, 
we were kind of told to figure it out ourselves, essentially. Like, because they don't, even though they're geneticists, they can interpret that data, but they're not experts in every condition, which is, you know, understandable. But what will happen is, you know, you might get a diagnosis um, on a Tuesday and then, you know, Wednesday you're discharged. Nobody else is going to see you now because they've figured it out. But there, if you're very lucky, there'll be a charity in the UK that might have some that might have some idea of of that condition and you could kind of connect with other people. Mm. But I suppose without a diagnosis, you have that lack of support, you have that lack of community. That's one of the strongest things that that, uh, I read from uh, what you had been saying uh, to your interview in The Examiner. There is a lack of community without a diagnosis. And by community, uh, you mean that if if, if a child is, is, is... diagnosed with XYZ, uh, then there's a community of people whose children have been uh, diagnosed with XYZ and you can begin to become a part of that community, begin to get some support from that community and begin to get some answers from that community. But without a diagnosis, that community uh, exists, but you're not in it. That's that's exactly it. Like, I mean, if you if you found out that your child had dyslexia in the morning, you could go to the Dyslexia Association and you could say, look, my child has this diagnosis. And they go, look, we were where you were five years ago. Here's what we did. This is how you do it. And you, I suppose, because the services are so poor, like they're, they're so poor that they don't even exist. And they're worse now than, they, than they've ever been before. And because things are so chronically non-existent, you have to rely on those kinds of services. You have to rely on that association or that charity. And that's not how it should be, but that's just, that's where we are. And I suppose when you don't have that, um, like that's why where Ireland are so wonderful because we're all, even though we're all in totally different places um, and the children have completely different kind of needs or anything like that, everyone's been in that position where they just don't know where they Every, Everyone's in. trying to navigate the system to a certain extent. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, exactly. So and a system that kind of is is almost laid out in a way that you have to just constantly make complaints, go to the ombudsman, go send a legal letter before anything gets done. Wow, okay. Tell me about little Emmy and how far you believe you've come on your journey now towards full diagnosis and full management of her condition. To be honest, um, I think that the the way that I suppose it's been left is that the I suppose there's a they found they found what they think might be the answer but they because it's so they found something that they've never found before in another child but they can't say for certain that that's it or that it's not it because it's never been found before and so it's it's um, it's a lead but it might mean absolutely nothing or it might mean everything and the reality is that it's not going to change anything for her tomorrow. You know? Wouldn't you think that maybe that curiosity medically would garner her some attention from the medical community to say there's something new here, we may have discovered something? Well, in fairness, I mean, if it's actually, to be fair, like, I mean, she has had an amazing amount of testing at this point. They have really... Like, her neurologist is fantastic. They've really, you know, they have tried. But I suppose the reality is that it's not... Once we once we came to understand that things weren't going to get any... Like, we thought, because we were very concerned at one point that things were, were deteriorating. Um, but we've pulled back from there and, you know, things are settled. Things are pretty settled now. So we're, we're happy that she 
just needs that support. I suppose a lot of other families living in Ireland, they're watching their children deteriorate every day and their children aren't pulling back from sure. it. Sure. And in, in a sense, and, every, every child adjusts to its own normality. So how normal a life is Emmy leading right now? Oh, sure. I mean, like... I'm at, I mean, I've I've left my job. Um, my husband works from home, so the you know she she has as much she has the best life she could possibly have. I mean, she's got a, a loving home, a lovely brother, a family that adores her. She has a hell of a lot more than than a lot of children, and she leads a very happy life. But I suppose one thing that would make her life enormously more easy would be if the services that were designed that that she's supposed to have and that she's supposed to have a multidisciplinary team to support her to achieve, you know, her goals. And her goals are, are only her goals. She's not going to she's not going to fit in other people's boxes, just like no no child is going to fit in the boxes. Um but there are so many children, I suppose, it and it's that need those teams, but sure, those teams don't exist. They only exist on paper. The HSE gives a recommendation that a child needs a disability team, but the disability team, at least in Cork anyway, they don't exist anymore. So to how much to how much of an extent do you think the system in general has failed, Emmy? From day one, uh, from start to finish, extraordinarily. Like, there's no... I I knew that things were bad. I'm not I'm not a fool. Like I know that the HSE is understaffed. I know it's underfunded, and I know that this area needs support. I need that that area needs support. But I I genuinely I had I'm I mean you know color me naive and stupid, but I really just I I had no idea that it was this bad. Like she has never, she, you know, she's two and a half. She's been. You know, with these going in and out of all these systems since she was seven months old, she's never had an appointment of occupational therapy through the public system. She's never had an, you know, speech and language with through the public system. We do all of that ourselves, and that's you know, we're lucky that that, that that's something that we can do. But I suppose she she is one of thousands of children around Ireland and in Cork where. You know, you you go, you you can see that the that your child is struggling. You go and ask for help, and you just kind of get a pat on the head and and told, you know, off which you, sorry, it doesn't exist. Like when they changed over the progressing disability system, it was supposed to be a positive change, but they've actually broken it in a way that. I don't think anybody, everyone knew it was going to be, an, you know, an adjustment to this new system. And I think, you know, people, you know, personally, I thought I was positive. I was a little bit optimistic. I thought, yeah, it's probably going to be a bit of a mess for the first year. But then after that, you know, hopefully they, they've worked a long time mm-hmm. on trying to fix children's disability services. So maybe this is it. Maybe this is going to change everything. It's a mood point, you know, whether the HSC is underfunded because there's more and more money being thrown at it every year. The more salient point really is how is that money being used? Well, that's it. I mean, the new assessment of need process, um, You it used to be that you'd, you'd wait like, you know, three years for an assessment of need. And then when you had it, you got a piece of paper and it had a diagnosis and it had recommendations. And frankly, you'd never get whatever they recommended, but they still, you got a diagnosis from it. Whereas the new system of assessment of need, you don't actually get a diagnosis at all. Um, you just get a piece of paper that says your child has a disability or does not have a disability. Um 
which is difficult because obviously in terms of schooling um, That's not difficult, that's, schools, that's callous if They want to know what, what the disability is and you're like well, sorry but I don't know <laughs> I'm completely none the wiser as to what the disability is I just know it exists Wow um, So every, I suppose children, children in Ireland at this point they're being failed at every single opportunity you know, the medical services aren't there, the genetic services aren't there, the wraparound community support that they say the child needs doesn't exist in any way, shape or form. Um, so parents are forced to go and find these groups like Rare Ireland and they're, and that's the only way that they get any information, that's the only way that they get any support, but at the end of the day, that is no replacement for actual like there's things you can't you can't go and um you can't go and pay a multidisciplinary team like you can get multidisciplinary services privately but when you have a child who has a medical need and you know a, a special educational need they need a team and you're not going to be able to find a pediatrician you know because you don't know is this a special education need or is it because they're on this medication you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that is something that you require a multidisciplinary team for because that's their whole, they're supposed to look at the child holistically um, and they're supposed to, you know, support them in a holistic manner, whereas you don't get that. And there are a lot of children, um, even within Rare Ireland, and they're only getting, they're only getting supports. If, if they are getting supports, then it's only for one particular thing that they have a diagnosis of. It's not for them as a whole person. Yeah. To, to, to what extent do you think Emmy is constitutionally entitled to all of this? I mean, I think, I mean, every child under the Disability Act has certain rights, you know? I mean, if even, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me if, if the, like, there, it's not even that you, you, you have to go and pay privately for some of these things. It's that they don't actually exist in any way, shape or form. Outside of private. Like, Outside, you know, that's what I mean. Like in, in, in the private sector, you can go get your occupational therapist, you can go get your speech and language therapist, but you can't go and get a pediatrician and an occupational therapist who are going to go and discuss your child while you're not there. In a multidisciplinary you know, fashion. Exactly. That's mm. not something okay. you can go out and, and find. And so that's why you rely on those public services. And no child... You know, you, you shouldn't have to make complaints, go to the ombudsman, send the solicitor's letters. Like... You know, that is not um, a level of no person should have to do that. And like, as I said, Emmy's extremely lucky. She's a happy child. She's, you know, she's walking around. She's happy with the things that she's happy with. There are children out in Cork, you know, we and in Ireland that are, they're in, they're waiting on like, like they have life limiting conditions. Their, Their genetic condition might be hereditary. And they're the children sitting on waiting lists. I mean, how even from a family planning perspective, if you have a, if you have a suspected genetic condition in the family, how are you supposed to make family planning condition, um, decisions without the whole picture? You know, um, there's no support. There's no genetic counselling. Um, it's just it's just a it's just a chasm of services. Unbelievable, Re- Re- Rebecca. I'm just just absolutely gobsmacked because what I thought was going to be. Uh, a discussion about Emmy and her condition and, you know, f- facilities and lack of them and uh, what you expect for her future and a diagnosis and please get me this or please get me that. 
has turned into well, this discussion of the absolute lack uh, of multidisciplinary attention for, for all of these hundreds, if not thousands, of children. Yeah, no, like, I, I, I honestly wish that I could come on and say, <clears throat> if you gave her this tomorrow, everything would be sorted. I really wish it was that simple. But this isn't just one system failing. This is, this is, like, I mean, this is everything breaking down at a fundamental level. This is the HSEs, this is medical, this is genetics, this is, you know, un- understaffing of the neurology departments, you know, this is across the board. And I wish that it was just our experience, but unfortunately it is. You know, if you talk to 10 parents tomorrow in one park, if they have the same, you know, it, it, whether a child has something that is undiagnosed or whether a child has something that's rare or something that's extremely common, you know, something that, you know, every, you know, something that loads of people know about, they will tell you the same thing, which is that the rollout of the progressing disabilities is a joke. It is not working. It has completely collapsed. No children are getting the services that they should. And parents are left absolutely flailing wow. in the wind trying it's to so figure sad. out where to go next. So sad. Completely unrelated, Rebecca. I was out uh, over the last week in a restaurant and overheard a conversation uh, from an A&E nurse. Uh, and we kind of had to stop talking because even though she wasn't talking loudly, the emotion in her voice, she eventually started crying uh, regarding the situation uh, in one of our local A&Es where she said, we are massively, massively understaffed. One of the people who was eating with her said, why don't you change your career? Why, why do you go in and have to face this every day? And they said, they said it's, it's, it's what I do. It's my vocation. I want to go back in and help people. But we are over, over capacity, massively, massively understaffed, huge queues outside the door, the most stressful environment in the world, not conducive to to health, health and safety, or to empowering people to recover. Um, something drastic is going to have to happen or will happen uh, in the A&E side of things. And I think you've just highlighted another glaring, calamitous def- uh, deficit uh, in these health services and, and where it matters most to the children of Ireland uh, who basically need the system to work for them. I'm kind of out of time, Rebecca, but it's been, it's been enlightening in a sad, sad way. Uh, but you've spoken so eloquently and so passionately and I think uh, Emmy is very, very lucky to have such loving parents. Thanks so much. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. It's a quarter to 11 on the button. And yesterday we spoke to Sarah, who cannot get swimming lessons for her child, and to Amanda Cambridge, who is a water safety campaigner and a very strong one, uh, because she has devoted her life to it, really, since losing her little boy, Avery, in a swimming accident in Spain in 2019. And Karen Foley heard that interview and joins us on line one. Good morning, Karen. Hi, Mick. How are you? Good. Now, you're a lifeguard and an owner of Triton Swimming Academy. Why is it that people can't get swimming lessons at the moment? I know there's the COVID separation sort of thing and that the health clubs are are operating on bookings only and restricted time. Uh, But it seems that swimming classes are all but non-existent in Ireland right now. Yeah, well, there's there's a few um, problems, really. So um, the main problem at the minute is pool availability. So, like, I own Triton Swim Academy. They're my business partner, and we have full, you know, we full staff. We're ready to go back to lessons. We could go back tomorrow if we had a pool, you know. Um, so we ran prior to COVID out of Lota Swimming Pool, which is their brother's a charity pool. 
So as of yet, we're not allowed access back into that facility. But we've tried numerous of other facilities as well to see could we rent even a lane or you know part of the pool. And unfortunately, you know, there, there's nobody willing to to rent us any pool space. Why, why is that? Is it because of the necessary COVID restrictions and the uh, the fact that you know vaccinations are in play and membership is is in abeyance and everything is kind of up in the air or what? Yeah, well, um, to be fair to the likes of Lota and Cope, they usually would give us the pool, you know, to rent. It's, I think it's just because of the pandemic, really, in those pools. But in hotels or in public pools, you know, they don't want um, outside swim lessons renting space either because we'd be in direct competition with their own swimming lessons. And also, as well as you said, member members' availability then as well for the pool. You know, members need to have access to the pool throughout the day. Mm. Yeah, in a supply and demand scenario, there seems to be much more demand for swimming lessons than there is availability. So why then, in a business sense, aren't the, uh, you know, the for-profit leisure centres, if you like, uh, saying, okay, we have, uh, as part of your membership, reduced cost or free swimming lessons, uh, you know, to encourage more people to join as families? Yeah, I, 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 no, I'd say some of the public pools probably do, you know. But with the private pools, you know, you'd have the members um, complaining that they don't have access to the pool all the time. So they really try to limit the amount of lessons that take place in the pool on a weekly basis, you know. Mm. So it's, it's, it's so hard for us to get into pools. There's, there's definitely a big shortage of pool space in Cork at the minute, you know. Okay, are you running courses at the moment in any shape or form? Yeah. Yeah, so um, we can't get into swimming lessons. Now, Swim Ireland have actually given us the go-ahead um, from the end of September to get back and teach from inside the water, which was another big um, reason why a lot of pools couldn't get back to lessons because the pool is too deep and the kids can't stand and we weren't allowed in the pool with the kids for the last few months. But they've changed that now from the end of September, so hopefully that will allow us to get back into some of the pools. But... Um, at the moment, I'm running some pool lifeguard courses, um, but they're from ages 16 and over, you know, so it would definitely be good for teenagers or for adults or anything that are interested in water safety okay. or interested in getting a part-time or full-time job, you know. And I know you're starting up baby and child first aid courses and uh, the 16 to adults courses are going to be in the Planet and Blackpool and one in the Castle Hotel uh, in McCroom. And if you're interested in that, you can follow the page. Is it RLSS Lifeguard Courses Cork? Exactly, yeah. And then um, Triton Swim Academy as well. So um, myself and my business partner as well are going to be running baby and child um, first aid courses for the time being. And if, if people just like the page, we'll obviously be given first preference to the people that were with us before the pandemic as soon as we get back into the pool. But we should have some spaces as well. So if they just like the page, um, we keep them updated. But we cater for kids from four months right up onto lanes and we do children's life saving as well. Okay, but for any pool operators out there, there's a huge demand for swimming lessons. You might be able to use that in a commercial sense to gather more uh, family customers to your to your books. Uh, or if you have pool availability, for the likes of Karen Foley, who's a lifeguard and an owner of Triton Swimming Academy, then please let us know. Karen, thanks very much, and uh, the best of luck with all your efforts. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, I want to go to Fiona O'Leary on line two because she's got a great story. A man has been arrested in the US after an Irish woman, Fiona O'Leary, alerted police that he was making and selling a bogus COVID-19 treatment. But it goes back much further than that. It goes back nine years. Good morning, Fiona. Hi, Mick. Good morning. How are now, you? I'm great. You're an activist and an autism rights campaigner, and you inform the, uh, the cops in Las Vegas, Nevada about a certain practice being carried on for many, many years 
uh, you've been trying to expose this. Can you take us back to the beginning? Yeah, so it goes back to 2013. Um, I have five children and three of my children are autistic. I'm also on the spectrum, Mick. I was studying in UCC, studying autism studies, when I learned about this bleach product called MMS, Miracle Mineral Solution, uh, created by what can only be described as a cult called the Genesis 2 Church. Uh, the founder was once a Scientologist, and I was informed that they had a, they had a base in Ireland and that they were giving this bleach to autistic children. Uh, by way of a drink and by way of enema. I thought it was crazy, uh, but I discovered that it was a real thing here in Ireland and worldwide. And I set up um, campaigns to out, you know, to ban this product in Ireland, and it led to prosecutions in 2015, 2016. And I was in court for the HBRA. Prime Time did a big expose at the time. And um, my work hasn't stopped since. Uh, it's a global campaign at the moment. I have colleagues in Argentina, in America, all over the world that, that are trying to stop this scam. Um, it's been marketed now as a miracle cure for COVID, for cancer. Um, my autistic son actually battled cancer at this time last year, so this is very... It's a very personal important. battle for you then. Well, it is. And I suppose my real concern is the links that this bleach cult have with the far right. So there's a big situation where we have far right politics aiding these people. And it's here in Ireland, you know, the people that are on the streets saying that COVID is a hoax, telling people not to wear masks. It's being rolled out as a vaccine of sorts. So they're anti-vaccine. And Telegram is a platform that is really bad at the moment. It's led now mostly by a man called Andreas Kalker. He's a German, and he actually is also being charged over the weekend. So since that arrest in Las Vegas, there was a story broken business insider, the great media site, uh, Tom Porter. Um, he, he's facing charges correlating with the death of a five-year-old child um, who died from drinking this bleach last year in Argentina. So Latin America is really, really bad at the moment, and we're trying to shut down all of these operations, but we need legislation, Mick, not just in Ireland, but worldwide. We need a Cancer Act to protect cancer patients like my son. We need an autism bill, which is still in the process. I mean, that has been formed many years ago. The government needs to do something because it's growing. But how, and, how can um, anybody, Fiona, use a bleach-based product uh, that is, you know, patently dangerous well, and, and make any medical claims about it? Well, Mick, they're using horse medicine as a treatment for COVID, you know, the ivermectin. And this is actually really concerning. I'm watching this in Telegram at the moment where they're mixing bleach with the horse pills and they're rolling it out as a miracle cure. Also telling people that this prevents COVID. So this child that died in Argentina, this is all documented, by the way, there's a court case at the moment. Um, he was given this as a preventative. He didn't even have COVID. He was a five-year-old little boy. That story broke me and broke my fellow activists. And we want justice for him. You know, this is a very important fight now because babies are being given this product. Um, these activists like Calcar tell breastfeeding mothers to ingest this bleach and they're giving this to babies in baby bottles. But the enema protocols of autism are absolutely um, barbaric. It's child abuse and um, it has wow. to stop, you know. Uh, and tell me about Elias Daniel Bertrand Suarez and uh, and how you eventually caught up with him. Well, he, he's somebody that is part of Comusav. So Comusav are the Latin American bleach cult. The Genesis 2, um, the founders of Genesis 2, most of them are in jail as we speak. Four of them are in jail. Um, two in Florida and two in Colombia. So Comusav is kind of a new group. He was part of that group. 
and they have loads of groups on Telegram. They have pages on Facebook, on YouTube, etc. And I found it in a Telegram group called Comisav English Speaking, which is directed at people in the UK and in America. There are doctors in there. I've reported a nurse in the UK in recent weeks who's bringing this bleach into hospitals. Um, he was in there. He left his phone number. And he had a video of a bleach factory that he was operating out of a rental apartment in Nevada. And I connected with him on WhatsApp and we spoke on the phone. And he told me, I said, I, I posed as somebody with a child with COVID, six years old. And he told me he could give this bleach to my child, told me how much bleach to give him, basically drink it all day long. The other concern I have is he's selling a variant for intravenous use, so they're actually injecting themselves with this bleach so product. In, injecting by time. enema and by ingestion. Uh, but what is the... And, and by, by IV. So what yeah. we have in, in Latin America, this is very concerning, is that they're the makeshift hospitals. In Bolivia, they've rolled this out as a treatment for COVID, and people are being given this poison for free. 85% of deaths from COVID in some of these countries, people have ingested this product. What's, what's the motive here, Fiona? Is, 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 it, is the money, motive... Is, money, is, is money, money, money. Yeah, and, yeah and, and, well, obviously, charlatans, that's what they do. They prey on vulnerable people. And, and in, in Latin America, there isn't enough information for these poor people. And it's a political thing. It's not just about bleach. They have huge funding from far-right groups. Trump went out and said, let's inject a disinfectant, if you not last year. Um, that really gave them a, a green light to poison people further. We had the President of the United States of America saying, maybe we should in, ingest a disinfectant. Um, that really gave them wow. a new lease of life. So it's not just about bleach. It's about the far right. It's about fascism. And it's about inaction by our government. And I'm calling on the government. Hello, listen to me. They know I'm fighting nine years. I've even spoken at the EU about this. This needs to stop. We need to protect autistic children like my kids and cancer patients and COVID-19 victims like my mother, who is alive, but she did have a terrible dose of COVID in December. She was in hospital for a month, Nick. It nearly killed her. These people are endangering public health and it's all about money. Okay, and the Las Vegas Police Department have acted anyway. They listened to you and they picked up this guy. They've been better than the Gardaí and I'm saying that because the Gardaí are not doing enough on this issue. Um, they went to his apartment within hours. They raided his apartment. They took these lethal chemicals away. Please note, Mick, that the fumes from these chemicals can cause really severe damage to lungs. So the residents in that apartment were also affected, even without ingestion. You so say something if, if, if they were selling a, you know, a placebo, something that wouldn't do any good, but wouldn't do any harm. But this is uh, where they're selling something that can kill people uh, for the money. Yeah. You say but something if it was you, just for the money. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I don't agree with that. I mean, homeopathy is a placebo and it's still harmful because what people do, it's not just the product. They believe that this is an alternative or treatment when it's not. And they don't get the proper medicine. Like we have a lot of cancer patients going to quacks and charlatans, um, not just with bleach thinking um, that this is their miracle cure and they don't get chemo. We have Mexican clinics like Hope for Cancer. There's loads of Irish patients going there, cancer patients. Okay, Fiona, I, I have to leave it there. Time is against me, but for right, right now, we congratulate you on everything you're doing and on getting Daniel Bertrand Suarez arrested. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. That's Fiona O'Leary. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens.
Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Uh, Jerry joins me on the line. He's been uh, travelling up from Mitchellstown to do his citizen's duty and pay his motor tax at the motor tax office. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Neil. It's make actually. How, how did uh, paying okay, the motor tax sorry, go? Sorry. Well, it didn't because, first of all, I, knew not, I got my notification there um, last week there and there. So anyway, to make a long story short, I travelled up this morning there, and now the, the, the licences that I or the tax that I've been doing was for for buses because I run a taxi in the bus service, you know. Okay. Now, firstly, we we cannot do. Um, they won't give us a pin to register for tax online. Now, they don't necessarily run in the air right with with the taxi before we couldn't do that either. We had to win. But anyway, long before I got my notification this time, so I travelled up this morning. And got up to the door, got no notification, no nothing, and he just got my normal renewal. There was nothing in it about online or you name it. And arrived about this morning at um, to see the thing in the door, and uh, was it? Uh, was on the um, the door was locked. Was locked it out basically, locked out basically for the one to a better word? And they so eventually I got through to the to the tax office anyway, and. To be informed that no, they weren't doing it in the story and whatever, and don't play and blame to the government initiative. Everywhere, sorry, everywhere is open, Jerry. Why is the tax office closed? I don't know. They said government guidelines. Okay. Um, and and you were you were meant to have a pre-booked appointment, were you? Were you informed of this? No, no, no. Should have bought. I wouldn't be going up there. I wouldn't have travelled seventy miles for nothing less. Of course, yeah. So uh, basically. Um, like, I can't register online because they won't give me a pin. Now, I can't, I, I don't know. Then before, when you go up, you'd have to bring up your um, your um, original uh, insurance cert and your original um, large PSV license in the case of these. So she said to me, look, there's a hatch there, and I think she said, drop them into it, you know. And I said, you're expecting me to leave um, full copies of um, insurance and, and on a, you know, and a PSV license. That anyone could come in and take him, like you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. She said, "I afford a copy, man, to do." And where are you going to put a photocopy? They wouldn't accept us. Ah, you're joking me. Unless. So no, no, they will not n- number one, they won't give you a pin that you can register online. Number two, when you physically travelled up from Mitchellstown to the motor ta- tax office, the door is locked. Uh, number yeah. three, they told you you had to have a pre-booked appointment. Number four, you were not told that uh, before you travelled. Uh, number five, they asked you for your, uh, put in your documents and uh, you wouldn't give them the originals. And then number six, yeah. when you went with with the photocopies, they said, no, we don't take photocopies. No, What's no, going no, on there? They told me, no, no, they told me before, when you guess it, when you go up to them, you have to have your original, when you went up to the counter before, you had to have your original copies, which they would not accept photocopies. Okay, so how are you going to tax your vehicles now? Well, it looks like, uh, uh, oh, incidentally, if I book it now, there's, there's no vacancy now until um, next Thursday at the earliest at the moment. Okay, so that means you have to schedule something around from, yes. from, ne- from next Thursday onwards. Yeah. No, okay, my license is not out until the end of the month, like, you know what I mean? But that's beside the point, like, I always... Um, I was uh, had the dossiers up to date, like you know, but like no, no, like my question is like every place that's is open, why is the motor tax office? I mean, I, I went up last year uh, and I taxed one of my vehicles in the height of the pandemic, and there was no problem. 
Yeah, I remember when the banks went went through the phase where they were trying to educate people to go into online banking, and they did it with bad service. They did it by removing tellers from the floor and leaving one or two where there was normally seven or eight, uh, and forming huge queues that would extend outside the bank door. Yeah. And, and you're waiting half an hour, and you go in because you need to go to a counter, and you ask a manager, what's going on here? Uh, why, are, why is there only two tellers and all the other windows are empty? And I was told, oh, we're trying to encourage people to, to use online banking. And I said, what? Yeah. You're using bad service to try and change people's habits? Yeah. But like, I wasn't the only one there, no, this morning. There were the men, there were the men with the, with the, with the in front of me, and he was trying to fill it out. He had to turn around to get the thing and fill him out, because he was out of traveling up from, somewhere down near West Cork. And he was on the same line. There was another guy came in, and he was the same. So there were three of us there in the space of, of five minutes, right? Yeah, so it, it would seem that none of you, it would seem to be anyway, that none of you got that notification that you had to have a pre-booked appointment. No. I know you have to do it for the driving licence, but I never knew you had to have a pre-booked appointment to tax your vehicles. No, like in the thing about it, like, if that is the case, then, like, they were able to give us just last year, I was able to, to um, renew my tax on my taxi this year online. I couldn't do it before, I was able to do it this year, and I can't do it with the buses. Unreal. Okay, let's see if we can get yeah. to the bottom of that one. If anyone can shed any light on that, please call us. Now, incidentally, the lady that I spoke to, like, wasn't very helpful, like, she refused again. She just gave me her first name, like, you know, when I asked her for her, you know, for her second name, because there could be any number of names uh, in a block, like, you know, and everyone would say, oh, no, 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 she just hung up on me. Yeah, who, who runs the motor tax office? Is it the Department of the Environment, or uh, yes. is it is it local government? Is it a cor- corporation or whatever? No, it's just the Department of the Environment. No, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but I'd say... Oh, no, 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 it's Cork County Council. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah, Cork County Council. Yeah, yeah, yeah Cork, Cork County Council, yeah. But the doors are locked any bit of them, and when you go up now and you press the button and you have to arrive five minutes before time and wait outside them. Wow, okay, so they must be in a different um, time zone, COVID-wise, than the rest of the country, are they? Yeah. Or else they're trying to change um, human practice. They're trying to get everybody yeah. to go online, maybe to reduce staff and cut costs. Who knows? If anyone can shed any light on that, please phone us at one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. Jerry, thanks, and sorry for thanks. the travelling troubles you've had today because of it. All right, okay, no better. Thanks a million. Bye bye. Sorry, my good. Thanks. Now, less than thirty percent of the Irish population have a will in place. That's a stark statement. Less than 30% of the Irish population have a will in place. There's a reticence and a reluctance in carrying out what is a really important function, especially if you have a family. Writing a will should be a simple exercise for the majority of people in Ireland and seems not to be. 99% of Irish citizens' estates, which is what they own, are not complex at all. There are generally one or two properties, a few bank accounts, some alternative assets such as your car, your watch, some art, uh, some collectibles, and that's it. And although the vast majority of citizens have uncomplicated relationships uh, uh, as well, uh, for those citizens, drafting your own will could not be easier. And to talk about uh, drafting your own will, John Lowe of MoneyDoctors.ie today launched a new service enabling thousands of Irish citizens to safely and securely draft up their own wills and put in place a structure whereby the representatives are empowered to process the grant of probate. So good morning to you, John. Hi, John. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Not too bad. It's Mick, actually. Oh, Mick. Oh, uh, I beg your pardon. That's <laughs> uh, no problem at all. Uh, I've been called I'm worse. So sorry. I, I, yeah, it's, it's good to talk to you, Mick, as well. Oh, there's no problem. Listen, uh, we'll talk about your new service towards the end of the interview, but uh, I want to address the very stark percentage 
that you've told us yeah. less than 30% of the Irish population have a will in place. Why is that happening? That's a really good question. I mean, we're talking about 1.4 million of the, of the working population. Um, you know, there's, there's a belief that it's something, the will is something that you should be doing, but they never get around to it. There's also a fear of tempting fate. You know, you, you write the will and then suddenly you die. People don't want to think about death. And then there's the costs. You know, a lot of people feel that there's a, an amount of costs involved with number one writing the will, but then probe it afterwards. I mean, if you did a, um, a kind of vox pop down in Cork, uh, down the you know main streets and ask people what is probate. You get a myriad of answers, Mick, that really would uh, would not surprise you. I mean, again, probate is basically the entire legal administration of a deceased person's possessions, what they own, and it's a very simple exercise. Uh, if if you have a simple um, kind of estate in in sense that the average person's estate in Ireland, believe it or not, is only 177,000. That's the average. So we're not talking Michael O'Leary's or, or uh, you know, Tony Smurfitt's of this world. We're talking about the average person, uh, you know, like you and me, and we've got, you know, the house, the bag of golf clubs, a guitar you want to leave somebody, and that's it. But they're off put against, um, you know, making it because of so many different reasons. You know, they're uncomfortable about telling strangers, for instance, uh, about their personal affairs. That includes solicitors and websites. Uh, and they may not be ready to make these important life decisions. Okay, so but if you, you don't know, make a will, uh, apart yeah. from whatever mess is going to be left and the hassle for your loved ones, your estate, yeah. which is what you own, your possessions that you have right now, they're going to be distributed yeah. according to the law of succession. That's a 1965 act. And they'll be distributed That's to right. your surviving family members. Uh, it's around all of the little, little things, I suppose, the watch or the ring or the uh, you know, the personal effects that there could be family fighting. But many people are unaware of the consequences of not having a will. What happens if you die, you don't have a will? Well, you're, you're, you're called in dying intestate, which means that you have to go and get a letter of administration from the probate office again, and it's hassle. You generally would involve a solicitor, which means money. Uh, anytime you involve a solicitor, you talk about money. Uh, I mean, what solicitors can charge for probate is, is staggering, um, especially when you can do it. I did my own will uh, for my mum, uh, her, her estate, and I was the executor. And there's eight children that make in our family, including uh, my sister, who's a barrister of a nephew uh, who's uh, well nephew-in-law who's a senior counsel so there was plenty of legal stuff there but I did it all myself because it's literally filling out a form uh, going down to the probate office making an appointment with a personal representative takes about 20 minutes and that's it you get a thing called a grant probate that means you can go back you can distribute the assets of the estate according to the wishes in the will very very simple and and for a lot of people, what the package I've I've released is you're you're talking about word documents. So there are six will types of templates, and these six will templates, uh, the one of them will fit you. And it's a word document, which means that you download it onto your system. And there's a little video on the on the uh, uh, the, the the website which tells you how to do this. Uh, and then you pull up the will template on your own laptop or your own PC or you print off and you fill it in yourself. So I will never see it and it'll never be on any website. Uh, you've got five of the documents which are supporting documents and you can also then empower your executor or your executrix uh, to do the actual uh, probate themselves and save literally thousands for the estate. Okay. Um, the, the last time I discussed wills on radio, uh, John, mm. uh, a will, there was an offer from solicitors around Cork. This could be 20 years ago uh, for 35 euro 
Yeah, you could go to yeah. a solicitor and write your will. If you want to go to a solicitor as against using your package, how much will it cost? Yeah. Well, it's 50 uh, and the reason for that is because you, you, you do every, it's everything. You don't need to go near a solicitor or a solicitor's office ever. Because all this is, is you've got a list of assets and and uh, personal information, one of the other uh, documents, Mick, which the list of assets is a six-page form which you put everything down on your your property, your accounts, your PC passwords, for instance, your mobile passwords, uh, social media passwords, anything of, of uh, you know, importance, which would include in your bag of golf clubs that you want to give to your nephew who, who's just started playing golf or whatever. But you don't have to be old to do a will. You can be young. You can have a young family. You, once you have assets over twenty five thousand, you should have a will. Even even if you're young, even if you're just just really over eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one. Well, if you have assets and you want to give them to somebody uh, other than you know allowing it to go back to your parents, for instance, that's what will happen. Or the family to fight over. You, yeah, or the family to fight it over. Exactly, <laughs> and and that's the problem with a lot of people today. They leave the the estate in in a mess, and usually there's siblings or there's children, and they're fighting about it, and and that's. That's another reason to, to write a will. So there's no ambiguity. There are 10 tips on the press release that goes with this package. And those 10 tips are what you read before you actually even do the will. Things like the witnesses. How, how many times would you have gone into a solicitor's office, the secretary comes out, she puts a squiggle on the witness uh, signature. And 30 years later, she's dead, he's dead, everybody's dead. And now it comes to uh, contesting who the squiggle is because they don't know her name, don't know what she's, what, who she is. And was it, uh, you know, fabricated by the actual solicitor? All of those questions would come up uh, for for dispute. But what I've done is you get two witnesses. You need two witnesses. You get their full name, their full address, their air codes, and their PPS number. Now there's no ambiguity, even okay. if you die. That, that seems like a very good service. Now, let's look at, first of all, because I'm intrigued by this, there are six types of will. Let me call them yeah. out. One is a single or legally separated stroke divorced with no children. Two, singly or legally separ- single or legally separated stroke divorced with children under 18. Three, single or legally separated stroke divorced with adult children. Four, married or civil union with no children. Five, married or civil union with children under 18. And six, married or civil union with adult children. So those are the Word documents templates that uh, you have on offer. Uh, and and we, we, we'll, give you, we'll give you the chance to advertise yeah. it again at the end. But you, you'll receive with this package your preferred will template in a Word yeah. document. Now, I want to go through yeah. the important things to remember when you're completing your will. These are your top ten. Uh, you have to nominate an executor or executrix. Uh, you ensure any beneficiaries are fully named with their addresses and their air codes and even their PPS numbers. You need to sign and date your will. Uh, You need two witnesses, and as you mentioned, you need to get those details. You need to keep the original will and put it in a safe place. You need to make provision in case any of your executors or executrix... How do you pronounce that? Executrices? Executrices, actually, yeah. Executrices predecease you. You need to nominate a guardian if you have children under 18. Your DNA assets, listen to this, DNA assets should also be recorded. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that maybe in a moment. Uh, you need a template for the enduring power of attorney and uh, power of attorney, I beg your pardon, and uh, you need to uh, click on a link to uh, find out the three group thresholds. Let's concentrate on two things here. DNA assets. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, in case it's needed even after you've gone. Um, and that's obviously been um, proven in, in years gone by where they have had to uh, look at uh, DNA, especially where there's a dispute about uh, parenting. 
Okay. Now, I, w- I want to talk, because uh, it's an interesting topic, on secession and uh, the uh, uh, level of assets that can be willed or bequeathed to children yeah. uh, and the tax implications that are around that. Because some people have assets that are more than 177,000 and they need yeah. to distribute in a tax-efficient way amongst uh, their own children, if you like. Yep. So what's, well, what's the, the threshold? Is the it 350,000 now before tax? Well, there's the capital acquisition tax thresholds. Um, there's three categories, Mick. The first one is from parent to child. That's 335,000. You know, in 2009, that same figure was 542,000. Today it's 335,000. So you can give your child 335,000 and there's no tax payable. Anything over that, it's 30%. Well, one of the things about, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, that kind of figure of 335,000 is it, it comes up pretty quickly, especially if you've, if you've a million and you have three children, that's a million gone. And, it, and it's all tax free for, for those children. And the second category... This is in assets or, or cash or, or value, is it? It's, it's anything, anything of value. It could be cash, it could be your home, it could be their home, it could be the one home that's in, 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 in the estate. So let's say, uh, you, you, let's say you have a million euro home, but you owe half a million on it. Well, what happens then? Okay, well, it, the, the loan is paid off, you've got half a million left, and that half a million is distributed to your, your children. Generally, what would happen, to be honest, Mick, with that situation, there would be a mortgage protection policy in place for the half million loan, okay. and that would pay off the loan. But it still now means that the, if, if the, so there's only one person who owns that house, say it's a mum or dad, and they've died, well then that will now either be sold or to be transferred into the names of the children um, and conveyed into them. But generally... It, it, and would they have to pay stamp duty? Of course, if, if if they convey it over from their home, uh, from the say father or mother's home into their name, it's one percent stamp duty. Of course, okay. it used to be a thing called consanguinity um, tax, which was half about twenty years ago. You only paid half of the stamp duty. That went, and so it's now down to one percent. And okay. over a million, it's two percent. Uh, anything over a million, that is. Okay, but so the, the stark fact, really, with, with the with the thirty percent who have wills, is that seventy percent, seventy percent of the working yeah. population have not yet made a will. Absolutely, so it's, it's frightening, really. Uh, the second uh, uh, kind of uh, level is the B uh, capital acquisition tax, which is thirty two thousand five hundred. That includes grandchildren, by the way. It also includes, uh, you know, nephews, nieces, uh, brothers, sisters. So you can give all of those 32,500. And I will say this, aggregates count. So if you have a favourite aunt who gave you 32,500 uh, and then next year another aunt dies and gives you another 32,500, you'll have to pay tax at 33% on the second one. Wow, okay. You're only uh, allowed to use once. The last category then is 16,250 um, uh, where you can get that from a complete stranger. But again, aggregates count. You can give that to me. You could will that to me, Mick, in your will and I'd be happy to accept that but I couldn't get it from anybody else I'd have okay. to pay 33% tax yeah, the old adage of course where there's a will there's a relative that, that, that's, that's sort of flippant it is a very very complex quagmire legally, financially uh, tax-wise and everything else. So well, it can be, but it can be, Mick. That's what the whole point of this thing is. 99% of people haven't got that complexity. They don't have it. And that's why, you know, you don't need to, uh, you know, I, I know so many, so many horror stories. I won't go through them uh, at all, but uh, it, for the vast, vast, vast majority of people, they can get this package and they can do it themselves and they can empower their executor or executrix to go and do the probate and save thousands of euro in in the process. Okay, so you, you, you've, you've developed this package which is going to be of benefit 
to people and and the fact that you can duplicate it and sell it again and again and again is, is you know is the financial impetus for yourself so you can well, you can order with your package one of these six wheels yeah and, and tell me well, tell me what people get for the package well, they get their preferred uh, template, will templates, number one. They get the list of assets and, and um, personal information. That's the will, uh, the, the word document. And the third one is the enduring power of attorney. Now, that will require a solicitor when the time comes. And this is just to flag it for people, because people don't even know what an enduring power of attorney is. Please explain. If, 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 well, if you are still alive and you can't look after your financial affairs, you're going to need somebody to look after them. If you have not given that permission by the time you've creaked, you've, you've, you know, you've lost cognitive function medical, or something. Uh, uh, you've contracted a medical condition. Well, then it's too late. So you do it before you contract that medical condition or, or maybe with the onset of it. That, does you, that normally go to an eldest child? It would go to whoever is uh, capable of looking after your financial affairs, whom you trust. Generally, it would be one of your children, and it would be, uh, you know, not necessarily your preferred child, but the one okay. who's most comfortable with money. Okay. So, so I mean, that is a really important. The third document, uh, the, the, so they're the three word documents. The five uh, PDF files, so these are other documents that are just you just print out. One is the press release with all those 10 top tips. You've then got um, the other uh, supporting documents like bereavement support services, um, Irish funeral guide, things like that. They're quite useful for people who have, you know, hit bereavement for the first time in their lives. And uh, the whole issue then is that this can all be done within this, these eight documents. That is the point. Okay, John, in, 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 instead of maybe harping on about the, you know, the macabre developments that might happen, the infighting and the backbiting and the family issues, if, yeah. uh, if somebody of, of maybe, you know, averaged considerable wealth and means dies without a will, uh, let's say even going legal and going to your local solicitor or purchasing your package, uh, that all yeah. of these dots... Uh, are there, all the T's are, are crossed, all the I's are dotted, everything is hunky-dory and somebody unfortunately passes away. How smooth can things go? Well, again, if if you look at what the average person out there is, they have a home, they've got their car, they've got a few accounts, a couple of bank accounts, a few bobbin accounts, and that's it, essentially. If if they have children, children will want to make sure that everything uh, goes smoothly as well and that uh, monies are gone to the rightful person who the, the deceased wanted to give that money to. And therefore, they're not really going to contest it. I mean, I've, I've again heard of st- st- stories where there's farms involved and there's somebody living on the farm and the, 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 kind of the brother might have the main farm, but he's not willing to give 50% of the value to say, uh, another brother. Uh, and so it, it causes uh, friction. This this kind of package is not for them. Um, where it is, you know, straightforward, simple, and you've got at least 25,000 in assets, and you've got children as well, maybe especially under 18, where you need uh, a guardianship or a trusteeship, or you need to nominate people who's going to look after those children if anything happens to you.
So it, it's really just been, been um, it's not anything to do with morbidity. It's to do with essentially, you know, um, doing a legal um, transaction without the aid of uh, a legal firm. Okay, everybody's going to die. It's a simple fact, so let's grasp the nettle. Uh, if you haven't got a will made and you're one of the 70% of Irish working adults who don't, uh, there are many solutions. One is go to your local solicitor. One is use this package. Uh, where can people access the package, John? How much does it cost? Uh, on the website, moneydoctors.ie, there's a menu bar, wills and probate, or you can go uh, moneydoctors.ie forward slash wills, and it's only 50 euros plus that, that's 61 euros 50 cents, and you're done. That's absolutely uh, done. It seems like that's incredible value. administration cost, by the way. Just a pure administration cost because we, we, there's an amount of, of, of uh, kind of work involved in the actual um, kind of mechanics of putting that on a website and making it to download, you know, putting that video on place. Okay. So you download this package, you download it onto your own system, and then you can have that for life. So you download it onto your own personal computer. You can keep it there nice and safely. Uh, or you can print off a copy and put it uh, in a safe deposit box. Or and then put it up in a safe place, filing cabinet, safe, uh, that's fireproof. And then let the executor or executrix know where that will is. Because they need the original will to go and do probate. Okay. Uh, question for you from uh, a listener. I have a will. Generally, what percentage does the solicitor take to administer the will? That's a very interesting question because I've I've seen so many different um, costs. I've I've seen three and a half percent for the first ten thousand, three percent for the second ten thousand, and two and a half percent for everything else after that. Now there's some solicitors will will do maybe um, a, you know a, a, maybe a one percent charge or they may do a, a fixed amount. But the average, if you look at at, at because they go on the same way, but they never discuss it. Uh, with the person who's making the will, because they're dead. Okay, so here's here's the question. Uh, is there a way to avoid all these charges, and is that's what's offered in your package? That's exactly what it is about. You can avoid uh, having to pay money for a draft in a will, and you can avoid uh, paying, you know, probate uh, charges. Now, they have probate charges in the probate office. They're small, a couple of few hundred euros, um, but this outside of the person who is actually um, applying for the grant of probate. They can co- charge a fortune. Okay. A fortune. So, www.moneydoctors.ie is uh, where you'll get the information. It's 50 euros plus VAT, 61.50, and could be of enormous benefit uh, to you and your family. Uh, we have many, many listeners, I imagine, who are listening, who uh, you know, keep saying, I must get around to the will. Think of the peace and security and the easy transition through the grief, if you were to uh, shake the mortal coil, uh, that you are providing for your family by having the foresight uh, to uh, complete and, uh, you know, get that will in order. Uh, so maybe people should think of, uh, just in case something untoward happens, uh, you know, and, and I, would I be right to say that anyone who is in trepidation or saying, I'm not going to grasp that nettle, I'm not going to die that soon, uh, once they complete the will, there's a certain sense of ease or comfort. There is, absolutely. And the fact that if anything does happen, uh, and, and accidents do happen, uh, at least you have now put a plan in place that uh, your loved ones and the ones that, that mean most to you are going to get the possessions that you have uh, the way you want them. Okay. And that stops a lot of fighting as well, I can imagine. John, no, it's, it's, been, it's been fascinating. Uh, it's, just, it's a very stark statistic. 70% of the Irish working population without a will. Uh, and you've shed some great light onto it. Uh, and I wish you all the best with that, uh, what seems like a very reasonable price uh, for such peace of mind. 
Nick, thank you very much indeed. Thank Thanks. You. All the best. John Lowe. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. 23 minutes to midday. This is Mick Mulcahy. Bernice is on line six. Hi, Bernice. Hi, good morning. Now, you're gutted because your niece has no venue for her communion. Another bit of fallout from the uh, hastily arranged communions that the uh, the relaxing of restrictions has caused. Tell me about your situation. Well, my niece's daughter was meant to make it last Saturday on the 4th. And she had a venue booked and a DJ and the last. So, out comes their announcement. No communions or confirmations until after the 6th. Okay. So, then on the Thursday, they got the date for the communion which is now the 18th. So the venue that she had booked is also booked from somebody else. On, you know, okay, that's, and that happens, I guess. So now she had to end up with no DJ, no hall, the child, which the child is very upset because of a lot of cancellations and that since May. And now they have to get the call from the church that the communion is going to be half an hour delayed because they're going to have confirmation first. Yeah, and there's a member of our family getting confirmed at 8 o'clock at night. My God, I'm she's sweet. Eight o'clock at night. I, I, maybe they're trying to stop parties or something. That's in the north of the country. Um, well, uh, no, my niece now, and that's a good few years ago, made a confirmation at six o'clock. And that'd been a long time ago. Okay. Evening. Eight o'clock, I thought was a bit unusual, though. So the, the venue fell unusual. through. Can, can I ask you, what, why does she feel she needs a venue for the communion? Is, is, is not a house party enough? Or do you have just such a big family or what? Well, we have a big family, and plus she would have to tell the daughter what she was having, and you yeah. know, like, we'd like to give them what they want on the day. And you know, when you make problems, you hear breaking them, and when you're telling them every second week, they're making their communion. I know. And then you're telling them they're not making their communion. Like, you have a grandson as well, making his confirmation. He got no day chat. Great okay. confirmation in other parts of the city. So, uh, I, I suppose if you're having a DJ for a communion celebration, you're going to need a hall. A bar just won't do, will it? Because you'll be annoying other punters. No, no. Yeah, that's it. You need a hall. And where we are, there's only, you won't name the venue. Okay, no, no. Two. There's only two. Okay. Two no, yeah. Okay, north side or south side? North side, is it? North side, yeah. Okay, so hall in the north side or somewhere in travelling distance uh, that yes, would sorry, suit sorry. a communion. Uh, is it afternoon or evening you're going to need it for? Are you going to be it's parting into the night? No, no, about two, two to six. From two until six? Uh, that, yeah. that would seem like a reasonable request. So It is very reasonable, yeah. Yeah, if anybody has a hall that they can use as a venue for a communion, obviously you'll have to have a bar and all that. Uh, and um, maybe a hall that provides catering, or do you intend to do your own catering? Oh, we do our own catering. Okay, that's going to limit your options now. Uh, you know, yeah. you're not going to get a hotel yeah. now to allow you to do your own catering. So would you accept a hotel if they gave you a, a, a room and they catered? Would that be out of the way, or do you have well, stuff honest, bought now? We have all the catering organising as well, because... We actually re- we had it booked and we rebooked that, and they're still available to do it now on the 18th. So yeah, we don't have to be letting them down now again, you know. But what's more important than the catering or the venue? If well, you had to make a choice, well, it was the DJ and the hall. I think there shouldn't be any problem getting a DJ. There's there's plenty of DJs out there who are just coming back into the market as well. We know that, but it's the hall we can get. Yeah, okay. You know, to have a DJ, then they said, we're, we're caught in the mo- you know, a few angles, like, and as they say, then we're going to make it as half as ten. Yeah, uh, let's let's look for something for you. I can only say in, in advance that if I were a hotel manager and I was going to offer you a venue, I would have to insist that the catering would be done in-house because for insurance reasons, um, you, you can't allow outside catering into a hotel. Uh, what if somebody got food poisoning? Who, who gets sued? The hotel or the caterer? The hotel is not going to take that risk on. Um, so if we do find a hotel, it may be the, at the cost of, of you cancelling the catering. 
uh, or it, the only other way you're, you're going to get it is a club, like a GAA club or something like that. That's where right. They'll allow you to bring in your, your own. Um, right. Price-wise, as well, I was going to think of it like a hotel would be a lot more. Sure, okay. Happy to try and help, Bernice. It's, it's, I think it's going to be a tall order in such short time. But if anybody there has a venue that's suitable, uh, we can sort out the DJ, I'm sure. Uh, the catering may be an issue, but let's look at finding a venue first, all right? Okay, that'd be great. Great, thank you for listening. Thanks a million, all the best. Okay, no Cheers, bye-bye. Lots of interest in the interview uh, about the wills with uh, John Lowe. www.moneydoctors.ie is the website for John Lowe. You can navigate it yourself from there. www.moneydoctors.ie Now, yesterday we were mentioning funny car names uh, that people have for their motors, and we had some very, very good ones, including one rather strange one I didn't think anybody would pick up on. I read, I picked up on it as I was reading it. Uh, I got a text last night from a friend to say, I can't believe you read that out. Um, uh, and that was, it's kind of a sinister one, a kind of a macabre one. Uh, somebody had a Renault Megane, they called it Madeline. And uh, I spotted it as soon as I had it read, and so did Noel Maguire. So well done, Noel. Uh, you were saying that was a bit close to the bone, and uh, look, maybe it is, but people can call their cars what they want. That would have been Madeline McGann. Yeah, okay. I know it might have offended some people. Uh, let's go to Audrey on line one. Hi, Audrey. I'm great. What do you call your car? Well, my new car now is a gift, right? I call it the Rocket. The Rocket. And, oh, it's fabulous, right? You'll be up to Dublin in 10 minutes and it, it's fast. <laughs> but the car I had before that, I called it the Pity. The Pity? Yeah, you get more you get more power out of a fart. <laughs> Would you pull the skin off a sausage? I tell you now, I used to say, you'd be going out to Link and you'd, you'd, I used to think the car was... You've been placed on hold. Oops. Please wait. That's the, is that the rocket putting me on hold, the Ford Focus? I don't think she knows she's gone. I think she's probably still talking to me and talking to nobody. Uh, let's go, uh, we'll come back to her if we can. Let's go to line two and to Susan. Hiya, Susan. Hi, hello. Uh, Good morning. How are you? You've got a Citroen, have you? Yes. Uh, no, I had a Citroen called Sissy, but I've now got um, a Suzuki Solario that I've named Cyril after my favourite James Bond film, For Your Eyes Only, and got- the St. Cyril's Monastery on top of the hill. So you've got a, a, a Suzuki Solero, Solario yeah. called Cyril. Yeah, and it was named after James Bond film. Okay, well done. Uh, <laughs> so you're going away from the old Betsy. Or the beast. The the beast has come up quite a bit no, uh, as 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 a, a name that guys yeah. call their car. Yeah, yeah, but I always call mine nice feminine or nice names anyway. Okay. I call Bet- my car horrible Betsy names. Betsy is by far and away the most popular, I believe. Yeah, Th- thanks yeah. A, thanks a million, Susan. Audrey is back on the line. Hi, Audrey. I don't know what happened there. You put me on a hold. Hello, Audrey. Not Hi, ha- Mick. Oh, you're back again. I'm back again. It's my big head keeps pressing the buttons on my phone. <laughs> anyway, well, you, you were telling me you had a, a car called the Rocket Ford Focus, and you, you, and, then, you and your last car, you were willing it to get down the South Link. Ah, uh, come here, the Focus. That was pissy. That was one we had to come here. You'll be going up Baker's Hill, decorated the road right, to make sure it's up the top. Yeah, we just have to move on. I think the phone is uh, playing tricks there with Audrey. Let's go to line three and Una. Hi, Una. Hi, how are we going, Mick? Very good. What kind of cars did you have? Um, my first car was an Opel Cadet uh, called Lucy. Why did you um, call it Lucy? I don't know, actually. I don't know where the name came from, but uh, there was a funny instant that um, I was out one evening and I met a bloke and uh, 
he wanted to come back to the house and I said, oh no, I said, um, Lucy and Jessie will be there. Lucy was the car and Jessie was my dog. <laughs> <laughs> he thought they were my flatmates. Anyway, <laughs> it did the job. Uh, that, 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 um, might have, uh, that might have made it more eager to come back, would it? <laughs> no, it worked. It worked. It worked, okay. Um, so, uh, Lucy was the first. You had another one then? Rosie was my second car then. She Why was, Rosie? Um, she was red. <laughs> um, Chicchento, one of those, um, had a kind of a bad incident with her in that um, I had my young son in the back seat with a little girl and seemingly the handbrake was faulty and I had it parked on a hill and I ran into the house for a second mm. and the car went down the hill smashed into a pillar with the two kids in it but thankfully they came out without a scratch so I got rid of that car after that That happened to a family member of mine and it happened on not just any hill Do you know the deck of cards in Cove, Westview? Oh gee <laughs> Now you check out the laws of gravity when your handbrake goes down Yeah and actually Thankfully nobody hurt them. though Yeah there was a woman walking up the road at the other side and she said it was weird because the car actually um came across the road on its own and into a wall. Like she thought, she, she, it was like as if somebody hopped into the car and steered it. Steered it, for, it you know, to save the children kind of thing. Yeah, because if it had gone the whole way down the road, it was gone into a big, huge crossroads and the wind oh, had, had a hope. It would have had a hope. You know? yeah. Wow. That's, so that's, my mother wasn't long dead at the time and I was saying maybe it was her. Maybe it was her intervention. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people believe that's possible too, you know. That was Princess, was it? No, Princess was my third car. I got her after Rosie then because I got rid of Rosie. Okay, and why Princess? Um, because she kind of was the the saviour from Rosie. Like, she kind of came along to, you know, just make up for the bad happenings. Do you, do you naturally call cars something as soon as you get them or whatever? Because you have another one now, a current one. Yes, my, well, my new car is 10 years old now. Um, she's beauty because I bought her brand new and she was... Um, um, a lovely uh, Toyota Corolla Pacific Blue so she was beautiful so I got her beauty Is she still beautiful? <laughs> um, she has a few bangs here and there now but she's still my beauty Alright, great stuff <laughs> lovely stories especially the one about Rosie uh, yeah. and, and, and the children who's uh, you know whatever divine intervention came in and turned the wheel to keep them away from the, from the highway or whatever Yeah, my son was only less than two he's now 20 so Oh know. wow well, great fun. memories and well done for naming all the cars and for remembering them and telling uh, your story live on air here with us. Thanks, Una. No problem, mate. Thanks, Cheers. William. Thanks. Bye-bye. Let's Bye. go to one more. Eilish has a great funny name for her car. Hi, Eilish. Hello. Now, you told us in a text you had a slimy green Fiat 127. Slimy yeah, snot green, galloping. was it? The slimy snot galloping maggot, I think I said. <laughs> <laughs> the galloping green maggot is what I have up here. A, ga- a galloping yeah, maggot. Galloping green maggot, yeah. I didn't get a chance to look at the text there to remember exactly what I had called it. But um, I got it anyway, Mick. And I'm sorry, I couldn't come on the last two days. But uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> 1992, okay, I left Cork and um, I was living there. And uh, I went home to Kerry, you know, mm-hmm. and got a job straight away. And I had no car. So spotted this green machine anyway. <laughs> And it was a thousand pounds at the time, right? Okay. And I needed five hundred pounds to insure it. So I went to one establishment bank in Abbeyfield, County Limerick, you know. And Lord David, he was looking for all sorts of deeds of lands and everything, just pure ridiculous. Then I remember my family came to my rescue, and he started it for me with his own bank. So anyway, oh, 
what would I say about it? It wouldn't go beyond 50 um, miles an hour without shaking, right? It, um, it, what would I say? It would freeze inside and outside in the winter. Um, it was, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I had a problem then with a leak somewhere, you know. Okay. I can't even remember the edge of it. And when I'd be driving, the water would be squishing out under my feet, back and <laughs> forth, back and forth. Loads of water, like, you know. So anyway, I got a fit of the mads one day and I got a hammer and nails and I drove some holes in the floor behind my feet. Okay, so I started that. To make a drain? Yes. So that, the whole car must have been rusting underneath at that stage, was it? Yeah, it sure was as old as the hills. <laughs> uh, but it did me for a few years anyway. But um, anyway, the other thing then was uh, my mum at the time, God rest her soul, she used to have some regular checkup checkup at the CUH because, you know, she had a procedure many years ago. And I used to give her the old spin up from Kerry up to the, the regional, no heating, nothing in the car. So I'd fill three hot water bottles for her, her feet, her lap and behind her back. And that's how you to keep her warm in it. But uh, yeah, she was a dinger of a thing. But, um, yeah, Galloping Green Maggot. But, uh, the, the Galloping Maggot was the uh, preserve of the Morris Minor. That was the, uh, that was the nickname given to the Morris Minor. It was, yeah. I, uh, I'd want to go against the Fiat brand, but I had a buddy who had a car, I won't mention the brand, but he called it Fiat Baby. And I said, why, why do you call your car Fiat Baby? He says, fix it again tomorrow, baby. Oh, yeah, fix it again tomorrow, Tony. <laughs> Gotta leave it there, Eilish. Thanks a million for the uh, the galloping green maggot and the slimy green Fiat One Two Seven. Make two seconds, please. Yeah. Um, can I give a shout out to a wonderful young man that helped me out this morning? I got um, I was getting diesel and I had a, a flat tire. His name is Alan O'Regan. He's from uh, Castlines out the road here, and he's the most pleasant, beautiful young fella. He just hopped out of the car and did the works for me at the old petty. I'm so grateful. Isn't it great to hear? Well done, Eilish. Yes, thank you, Mick. Take a bow, Alan. Alan O'Regan, is it? Alan O'Regan, Castle Lines. Gorgeous, tall, handsome boy, a student. He, I won't say boy, man, a student in uh, UCC, I think, yeah. Okay, we'll have all oh. the girls ringing us now looking for his number for dates. Oh, I'm telling you, I was checking for a wedding <laughs> ring. I'd run away with him if I wasn't pitched. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks, Alish. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. And one final call before we go to news at midday. And I still haven't ascertained if this man was named after Jay or Ewing. He's still the only John Ross I've ever spoke to on the radio. John Ross Hunt rejoins us regarding the defibrillator uh, that was stolen. Uh, a quick update. Uh, you didn't get the one uh, that uh, was stolen, but there is a good news ending to this story, John Ross. Hey, Mick. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. No, I didn't get any further confirmation on the Dallas thing you were asking me about. But uh, <laughs> no, we for, on, on the defibrillator, yeah, we, we got some great news there. Um, Striker, thankfully, have come forward and they've got a sister company who make the defibrillators and cabinets and they're going to help us out with a brand new defibrillator and a cabinet. Okay, um, so, and this is for, yeah. because for some unknown reason, at no benefit to anybody because it can't be reused, it can't be sold, 
Uh, it's got its own kind of identification number. The Fantonstown Community Association are without their defibrillator, uh, which did have a call into action once and uh, could be called into action again at any time. But uh, we haven't had any success in getting the stolen one returned. Uh, and we did intimate that there was a local company who may be able to assist uh, when I interviewed the last day. Uh, but that yeah. is now confirmed. It's Stryker on the Model Farm Road. And they very, very generously have come forward to say that they'll provide you a replacement defibrillator. Exactly, yeah. And we just, uh, part on behalf of the Fountain Sound Community Association and everyone in Fountain Sound who, who lives here and who'll be visiting, you know, this could be a, a very important piece of, piece of equipment for us. So, um, yeah, I just want to extend our, our gratitude to, to Stryker and their, and their corporate social responsibility team. They've, they've come forward to, to help us out. So, yeah, very much, very Fabulous. much appreciate what uh, they're doing for us. Yeah. Okay, let us know when it's in place and we hope once it's in place, uh, you know, that it may save a life. You, you don't want to, ha- to ever have to use it. Um, but when it's there, it's a certain great, great backup and comfort for people who are in the area that it may save a life. So take a bow. Stryker on the Model Farm Road, who have kindly come forward and providing, uh, through their sister company, a replacement defibrillator for the Fountainstown Community Association. Thanks, John Ross. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks. Thank Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, speaking of theft, um, I want to uh, just finish up on this kind of tongue-in-cheek story. A woman has won nearly £430,000, about a half a million euros, on a scratch card. But her ticket was allegedly stolen after she asked a tobacco shop owner to verify the win. So she's got a half a million bucks, right? It happened in Naples in Italy on Friday. Police are launching a manhunt for the 57-year-old suspect after the alleged theft. Italian media reported a woman in her 60s bought two scratch cards in a shop, and after scratching one of them, she realised she'd won the top prize of €500,000. The incredulous winner asked an employee to verify the win, but then the worker asked Gaetano Scolataro, whose wife is the owner of the tobacco shop, to double-check the winning ticket. However, he allegedly ran away on his motor scooter, and he never came back. A manhunt was launched that night uh, with a carabinieri, the Italian police force, uh, out to get him, uh, uh, trying to find him. But up to this point, Mr. Scolatero, who had been reported for theft by the woman just moments after the incident, has been nowhere to be found. But to prevent anyone from illegally cashing in the win, the Italian tax office, which manages scratch cards in the country, froze the entire block of tickets sold in the tobacco shop. He was stopped yesterday, by the way, uh, at Rome's Fiumcino Airport as he tried to board a flight to Fuerteventura in the Canary Islands. And he set up an account. He's claiming uh, a bank account. He's claiming the ticket is his, is rightfully his. Uh, but the whole thing is frozen. Uh, but that is some cheek. Half a million euros. Please check this for me. I've won in your shop or your wife's shop. And off he goes on his moped. That's the programme for today. We will talk to you again tomorrow morning after news at nine. My thanks to the production team and news at midday is next. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.